Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of January 12th, 2023, including Xbox and Bethesda officially have a game showcase planned, and it's coming real soon. A handful of bad Xbox rumors involving Halo and Fable have been debunked. Ubisoft gets in even hotter water and more. Happy birthday, Mom. This day in Xbox history, in the year 2010, 2010, two, two weeks in a row, but in this day in Xbox history, in the year 2010, Army of Two, the 40th day released for the Xbox 360. Dude, Army of Two, if you never played it, what a fantastic game. Now, to be completely fair, and I don't really still to this day know why, I never played the 40th day. I played the demo for it, but I never played through the actual full release of the game or beat it. Uh, and the reason why I say I don't know why is because I was such a massive fan of the first Army of Two, uh, which released two years prior in 2008, developed by Electronic Arts Montreal. Uh, Dan, this game was, th- this this franchise I loved so much. Uh, I know they made a third one. Uh, it was made by, I don't remember who made the third one. It wasn't made by EA Montreal, but uh, a third one came out in like 2013, The Devil's Cartel. I know that one apparently was absolute dog shit, but... It's one of those things where it's like, if you know Army of Two, there's really only two of them. You don't really count the third. But, dude, Army of Two was so good. It was basically like EA responding to Gears of War. But, like, it was, it also had a lot of unique features that weren't exactly in Gears of War. So it was kind of an inspiration and build off of Gears of War and not just a direct ripoff or copycat of. And it was a very, very cool game. The aggro feature, very fun, awesome co-op, two-player shooter game. What a great time, dude. I, I really wish you could see a company like EA take a risk on like a fun, unique property like this. Like it's a cool brand new IP just based on like some crazy, stupid military militia guns for hire, kind of whatever made up story. It's fun. It's unique. It's cool. It's different. I feel like these days, the only way EA would make a new game is if they got the right Disney license. And by Disney license, I mean, star Wars or fucking avatar. I don't know what else is popular these days. You guys like, uh, you like baby Yoda, and the, the and Baby Yoda and the Seven Sins, is that the next Marvel movie? And then, you know, they, they put $300 million into that game and released it eight years after they announced it. And 45 CGI trailers later, we'd be like, here we are. Here's that Baby Yoda game that we've been dying for. Meanwhile, boomers like myself are just reminiscing about back when we used to get unique, fun ideas like Army of Two, which were probably developed in like two and a half, three years, and were fucking awesome. But anyway, that's enough reminiscing of the old days. Army 2, the 40th day. This game is 13 years old. My nostalgia is now officially old enough to drink, I think, at this point. Anyway, guys, welcome to episode 189 of the Xbox On podcast. I'm your host, Fuckface, and uh, I probably should watch the cursing. Actually, I told myself I was going to try to reduce cursing on this podcast by roughly 50%, whatever the fuck that means. And, uh, you know, YouTube is also 
out to get people apparently who curse early on in videos. Not that the show is really meant to draw a YouTube crowd. It's just available on YouTube, but that's not really that's not really where this this podcast has its listenership. But anyway, don't don't listen to what I'm saying. Let's talk about some Xbox stuff and then and then you can listen to what I'm saying and we'll do a whole podcast about it. It'll be a good time. So moving on, staying on track. We're not getting all distracted this early in the podcast. Guys, let's open up this week with our stories of mild amusement, corrections, updates. We do have a couple of updates. Uh this is we have two Xbox first party related rumor debunkings in this in this week's news and I guess arbitrarily I put one at the top of the show and one later on in the main news segment I guess I could have combined them into one story but I, I've chosen to do it this way I don't know why I guess Tuesday night note-taking podcast uh, organizing Jesse decided this was the best way to do it take it up with that guy I had nothing to do with it but our first one here is regarding a, a, a little game a fabled game you might say because at this point we've been hearing about it for so long but not seen it uh, but the Fable reboot is still apparently using Playground Games' proprietary engine, despite rumors. So this is coming from Game Ranks. I, I don't think we've ever used them on the show before, so good to have a new source for ones. But Game Ranks article reads, Since it's been a couple of years now since we've seen anything official showcase for the Fable game, rumors are naturally starting to flood the web with a grim outlook. One of the leaks that spread like wildfire in recent weeks was that Playground Games had internally restarted the production of Fable. The main focus here is that Playground Games seemingly was not happy with the production and had restarted development using the Unreal Engine. But since the rumors started to spread online, other industry insiders have have chimed in and claimed that these rumors were completely false. Development is apparently going strong over at Playground Games. If some industry insiders are to be believed, likewise, there don't appear to be any changes to the engine that the game is using or that the studio is using to bring out Fable. So this is a good one. I I didn't really go into this too much. Uh, I think it was a week or two ago when this rumor started to surface because I... A lot of reputable sites that I generally defer to, of course, you know, Windows Central, Video Games Chronicles, my my big two, uh, weren't really talking about it. So I, I defer to the expertise of of the folks that work over at those sites. And so if they're not really covering the story, I, I have reason to believe that it's probably there's probably not a lot of truth or heft behind it. Of course, there's always the possibility that uh, you know there's some some relatively unknown insider who has some info that current run of respected games journalists you know maybe don't have, but in this case, I, I you know, I, I touched on this rumor, but we didn't talk about it as an actual full-blown news story last week because I was a little bit hesitant to go forward and say, hey, this is a thing that looks to be happening. So glad to see that it's not happening. Glad to see that this was just a rumor, or it seems so, according to um, insiders. Uh, but uh, no, this is this is good because I, I don't... I know we talk a lot about how Xbox is like, oh man, so many of their games are in deep trouble. Uh, you know, th- what's going on with the initiative? We'll look at 343, et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't think at any point with Fable that the story was, oh God, this game is in deep trouble. Um, someone save it. I thought it was just a case of they announced it way too premature. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm fairly confident that this game will come out and be pretty full-fledged and well-produced. It's, if there's anything I have faith in Playground Games for doing, it is putting a high production, well polished, complete product out on market um, because that is the only kind of game they've ever made before. And so, even if Fable ends up being the worst Fable ever or just the worst game ever, I don't know. I have no doubt that this game will probably uh, come out well produced, well polished, fully you know fully put together. Um, so I, that's never been really a concern for me with Fable. Um, my my bigger concern is just that I. Th- 
think they talked about it a little too early. And you, you, I'll always give Fable a little bit of a benefit of a doubt because the rumors that this game were, were in production were going on for like a year or two before Xbox confirmed it. So I think part of maybe why Xbox did announce this game when they did was just a, a way of kind of being like, yes, the rumors are true. Okay, let's get, you know, the elephant in the room. Let's address it. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it was a little bit of the rumor mill that that forced the hand of this game to be announced so early. But at the end of the day, you know, it's Xbox controls the messaging and the marketing of their own products. So, you know, it kind of does lay at their feet to handle how they want to talk about this kind of thing. But nonetheless, it is relieving to know that, at least as far as we know, production seems to continue to go smoothly until we hear otherwise. Uh, but keep in mind, we do know that, as we recently learned in, in, in the past few months, that IDOS Montreal will be uh, kind of co-developing or being like a support team on some of the development uh, of this game, similar to how Crystal Dynamics is helping out with the initiative over on Perfect Dark. It's just one of those things that's like, why the fuck didn't Xbox snatch up these these devs from Square Enix instead of letting them go to Embracer Group last year when they did? Makes no fucking sense. It seems like these guys would be a great fit and a great, uh, it would, it, it would just be a great help for Xbox, but nonetheless, here we are. But, uh, yeah, let's, uh, dude, I really hope as we, as we're looking fresh into the new year, man, I really truly hope this is the year. I don't think we're going to get fable this year. Let me be clear about that. I, there's no chance in hell this game's coming out this year, but I really hope 2023 is the year where we finally see a gameplay demonstration. I just want to see what the fuck playground has built. I want to see what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it looks like it feels like, because obviously we won't be playing it. We'll just be seeing someone else play it. But I just want to get a sense of what the fuck this is. Obviously, you're like, Jesse, it's Fable. It's probably just next-gen Fable. But it's coming from a renowned developer that makes the premier racing franchise, not a third-person RPG single-player game. That's just not their bread and butter. And so I'm just so curious to see what this game is going to be like. And I really, truly hope this year we get to see that. Um, I don't, you know, spoiler alert, we'll get into it later in the news, uh, Xbox showcase happening at the end of this month. I don't think this will be there, but man, I hope we see it whenever Xbox does their summer events, their E3 time period event. Please let me see Fable finally. All right. Speaking of Forza Horizon, uh, next up, we're talking about Forza Horizon. So uh, according to VGC, some of the key talent behind Microsoft's Forza Horizon series have left Xbox's Playground Games to form a new AAA development studio called Maverick Games. So this one, if, speaking of, you know, trouble, trouble over at uh, Playground and during the development of Fable, I don't think this necessarily calls for trouble, but it seems like a uh, According to this report, the Levington Spa UK-based outfits founding team is led by former uh, Forza Horizon creative director Mike Brown. This is the new team that uh, is formed by ex-Forza Horizon developers. Horizon creative director Mike Brown, who's serving as the creative director of the and studio head of this new team. Uh, the startup said that it has secured significant seed funding, and please don't be from Tencent, and its debut game will be a new premium open-world title for consoles and PC, although the announcement didn't confirm whether or not it would be a racing game. Maverick's leadership team also includes Chief Operating Officer Harinder uh, Senga, sorry if I'm fucking up that name, who was previously co-studio head at Sumo Digital in Leamington, so another fellow UK developer, well-regarded UK developer, joining forces or have head talent from the team joining forces with head talent from Forza Horizons Playground Games to form a brand new team, as well as the executive producer Tom uh, Butcher, who is formerly lead 
producer over at Playground as well. Uh, the chief technology officer, Matt Craven, who is Playground's technical director and its content director, Gareth Har- Harwood, was technical art director at the Xbox studio and audio director, Fraser Strachan uh, held the same role at the Forza developer as well. Ex-Playground Studio art director Ben Penrose and Mavericks art director, while former EA Experience Design director uh, Ellie Marshall is the company's UI UX director. All right, that's a lot of names. That's a lot of talent leaving leaving Playground and uh, a little bit from some other teams to form this new studio. Now, the studio is called Maverick Games and, you know, blah, blah, blah. They give the generic PR kind of announcement. Hey, we're here to create, create games we love that players will love and power people and developers and blah, 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 and take risks, whatever. Good for them. As always, you know, new studio, new venture. You wish the best for the team. You hope that they succeed and that they are happy and that they get to produce their dream games and do the best work they've ever done, right? Absolutely. Now, I, I just want to kind of get in front of the, front of this because I think the interesting thing here is that a lot of people will read this and be like, oh, no, Fable's in trouble. People are leaving Playground. I I want to nip that in the bud immediately if I can because let's, let's kind of liken this, draw a parallel to a big Sony uh, developer that I think experienced a similar thing, uh, and that would be Guerrilla Games, the guys uh, who make the Horizon games, Horizon Zero Dawn, Horizon Forbidden West. Now, I'm sure as many of you know, those guys were more famous for, better known for, the uh, their work on the the Killzone series, which was always meant to be like PlayStation's response to Halo, like their killer first-person shooting series, which, uh, listen, I've played almost every Killzone game, and I've tried because they're beautiful games. They always look so good, but they are some of the worst effing first-person shooters I've ever played. They're just so mind-numbingly boring and just bland, but... You know, the, the the team at some point decided, hey, we're shifting gears. We're going to make, fuck it, we're going to make this new game, Forza Horizon, brand new IP, brand new idea. And, you know, good for them. They fucking did it. They nailed it. Forza Horizon, or Forza Horizon, Horizon Zero Dawn ended up being a big success. Um, but in, in the process of shifting from premium first-person shooter online multiplayer slash campaign developer to big third-person open-world action-adventure with RPG mechanics story-driven narrative game. You know, that's a huge shift, and they shed a lot of their talent because there were a lot of people who used to work at that studio who were like, no, we want to make first-person shooters. That's what we're here to do. And so they left, and they shed talent in doing that. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is I wouldn't be totally surprised if that's something we might be seeing here at at uh, Playground Games where, you know, obviously uh, Fable has been in development for a little while, but it, it's possible that you have a lot of this old guard from Playground Games who were hard at work on Forza Horizon 4, Forza Horizon 5, and now that they're a little bit past the shipment of Forza Horizon 5, they're looking around, they're saying... Well, our team's main focus right now is on this Fable reboot, and of course, you know, there'll be more Forza Horizon in the future, no doubt, but, you know, we got this Hot Wheels DLC out, out there, we got a couple season passes out, we got the main title out, Forza Horizon 5, that is, and, uh, man, it just looks like racing is kind of just not on the table right now while it's kind of full steam ahead on getting Fable out the door, and I think you probably alienate some of your development team by doing that because your racing studio that is now making making a single player uh, open world rpg third person action game which is just so insanely different from the games you're used to making and so i i see this as more of like no you know no bad blood or anything it's just these guys are here to make racing games and so they're off to start their new studio and go back to doing the things they they do best which is make racing games and as as the story notates 
we don't know if this is going to be a racing game studio. We don't know that their first game is going to be, you know, kind of the DNA of Forza in a new studio. But I, I would not be surprised to see if that's exactly what these guys are out to do. Uh, and God help us, because these guys are really powerful developers. They have really, really, really skilled, uh, really high skills. And it, it would just be terrifying if uh, they're getting seed money from Tencent and they're going to go make a game that's just as good as Forza Horizon. Uh, and, and then that's going to take over the racing industry. So God, here's hoping that's not how that goes. But uh, obviously, like I said, joking aside, wishing them the best. Uh, hope they find great success. And we'll have to keep an eye out on Mavericks, uh, Maverick Games and and see see what they come up with. But, yeah, so there's our update on Playground. Extensive look at Playground. That's probably the most news we've gotten out of that developer in quite a while, other than other than when we learned that IDOS Montreal is going to be helping with uh, development on the project. All right, we got one other story of mild amusement. So those are like our updates slash stories of mild amusement, and then we got one more. And this one's a little bit of uh, some unfortunate news. So let's dig in and see what we got What we got here. So gamesindustry.biz. We we sometimes use on this uh, on this podcast reports that the last month's release of the Callisto Protocol was supposed to be an unmitigated victory for new studios striking distance. The culmination of a story that began with the studio's creation back in 2019, but it was a bittersweet milestone for many who worked on the game, as the Callisto Protocol's release also marked the first look at the conspicuous incomplete credits. GamesIndustry.biz has spoken with five former Striking Distance Studios developers who are omitted from the game's credits that say they got plenty that say they've got plenty of company. Not sure what that means, but let's read on. Separate sources estimate roughly 20 people across a variety of departments were left off the game's credits. There you go. Striking Distance representative did not return a request for comment from VGC, and as one source said, quote, it definitely stings. It sucks. I made a good amount of contribution and worked for a good length of time. To me, to just not be there at all is is shitty. And quote, while it's not unheard of for developers who leave projects before completion to be left out of credits, see Rockstar Games, for example, or, uh, the sources at, at gamesindustry.biz did confirm that the studio had no such policy that was ever communicated to employees. And none of the people that... W- were spo- um, and none of the people that spoke to GamesIndustry.biz consider the Callisto Protocol's omission a normal practice. One of the anonymous people described the the decision as an egre- as egregious, leaving off some senior developers, leads, and directors who made significant contributions to the game, including people who had worked at Striking Distance for over a year or had history working with Striking Distance CEO Glenn Schofield at his previous studio, studio Sledgehammer Games, who made some of uh some of the best selling games ever with uh, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare and Vanguard and World War II. Another described some of some of those that left the company uh were not on the credits and these were really quote really core people who built the studio up. Keep in mind that this studio is really young. Like it, it was like a three year gap from the time the studio formed to the time they put this game out on market, which is just completely unheard of by today's standards. So it's not like this game was in development for 10 years and took 2000 different people to bring to market and that it's just people came and went over the course of a decade or something. It's like this game had a tight three year develop development cycle. So for anyone to be on this project meant that they probably contributed quite a decent amount because to get a game like this from stem to stern in three years, you know, requires some, 
some skilled, disciplined, hard work. And so that is that is a shitty thing. And listen, I, I, I like Glenn Schofield. I like striking distance. I like the Callisto Protocol. I thought the game was pretty good. And uh, I, I'm here to say this is this is dog shit. Everything about this story sucks. I, I'm really curious to see when and if we ever get some kind of comment from Striking Distance or from Crafton, the, the publisher, the PUBG guys, uh, the publisher of the game, because th- this is definitely one of those stories that deserves some explaining. Uh, and for for numerous reasons, uh, honestly, if if I'm being you know as someone who is not a creative professional who you know gets to work on projects where your name ends up in credits and things like that. I've got, I've got to say from an outsider looking in this, this is one of those things where I don't understand how teams can have these kinds of policies where it's like, if you don't work on the game until the point of shipping the product, the final product, uh, your, your name is not getting the credits. We know rockstar was famously kind of used as the, 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 the main, the de facto example of a team doing this uh, back when red dead redemption two came out in 2018 and so, I don't know, to see another team doing this, to see that this is a thing that apparently does happen from time to time in the industry, I don't I don't understand it. I don't really see why this would be some kind of common practice. What what kind of power studios feel like this feels like this this gives them or publishers feel like this gives them uh in the, in that in in what cases they think it's necessary to utilize this kind of power or exercise this power. Because here, here, the fact of the matter is 99% of people who play any fucking given game don't give a shit about the credits and don't pay attention. That's just the cold, hard reality. The only reason anyone watches any form of credits ever in the history of humanity is because a bunch of fucking comic book nerds with neck beards want to see the next fucking little snippet of, of Iron Man will return in Avengers 7 or whatever the fuck happens at the end of the next Marvel movie. Like, no one, no one really cares about credits. And I say this as someone who is one of those people that will always force themselves to sit through credits once they watch a movie or finish a game out of respect because a lot of people put their fucking heart and soul into making these products and and even if I don't end up remembering everybody's name and you know learning a, a fun fact about every fucking person who had a hand in the project I do want to show respect to those people who created something by just sitting through the credits and being like yeah I want to, I want to be there when your name came, came come comes across the screen because I took the time to watch this movie. I took the time to play this game. I think the people who made this thing a reality deserve that that bit of appreciation and respect. And it's it's not a whole lot to ask for. So I am one of those people. And with that with that um, with that like that that bit of me that caveat, I, I still just find this completely disgusting and egregious. I think if you work on the game really in any meaningful capacity. You really should be in the credits. It really should be more of like a you gotta be looking for excuses not to include someone in the credits. I I don't know. Maybe if you like hire some some art designer who who quits uh, before he ever really even starts for some godforsaken reasons. Like yeah, maybe you don't put him in the credits. But dude, if if a if something you worked on ends up in that final product, you should be credited. Simple as that. Like that's. Who gives a shit, man? It's like to the to the end user, it doesn't make or break the experience. It doesn't make the game better or worse having other people's names in the credits. And so at the at the end of the day, it's ultimately kind of an egotistical ass white move for the studio because it's like I don't know. Do you think like you're getting? Do you think people who I don't know? Do you think like studio heads and like writers and shit are getting less credit because other like QA testers and art asset creators are? who worked on the project only for a couple months or a year or so are also getting credits. Like, it's not like the more people that end up in the credits, the more watered down the credits become. It's like, give people their, their fucking due respect. And as you know, I was talking about this with Kronky the other day and, you know, as he says, and rightfully so, 
this is fucked up because you're messing with people's career potential. You know, it's like if you're a relatively newish member of the game's development scene and, and you get like some big break and for whatever goddamn reason you get to contribute to the Callisto protocol, you get to put that you worked on this game in any capacity on your fucking resume. The second your name doesn't show up in the credits is the second you don't get credit for fucking working on this game. You're discredited. You can't just be putting that on your resume if you're not actually there. And it's, it just becomes one of these things where it's like, why would you do that to people? That's stifling the people's career growth. That's 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 trying to discredit and just erase people's hard work and their accomplishments. And so that's so fucked. So I really do hope this is something we do see addressed. I hope uh, Striking Distance has something to say for this because, you know, I we have these conversations about things like crunch in the games industry and overblown this or overreactive that but this is something where uh, I, I i strongly stand with you know if you fucking put work into a product you deserve to be credited for it you know maybe maybe sure maybe you can have different tiers of credits like special thanks to or additional help or additional contribution you know for someone who did a little bit of this a little bit of that but man i mean like if you worked on the project in some meaningful way put them in the credits dude what the fuck it's like letting bad blood get in the way of uh uh, of the way of people's uh, career viability. It's just so, I don't know. It's so, that's so gross to me. So hopefully we do get some kind of update on that. Some kind of a uh, follow, follow up from uh striking distance, but damn, not, not a good look. Definitely not a good look, especially when your game Callisto protocol. And again, I say this as someone who liked that game quite a bit, especially when your game kind of critically flopped and uh, anecdotally doesn't seem like it's really lighting the world on fire fire. Hopefully, you know, hopefully it does all right, but not a good look, guys. So that's it for our stories of mild amusement. Kind of starting off the podcast right this week with some disappointing news, I guess. But uh, no, guys, let's move on in to, you know, before we get to the main news, the games I've been playing this week, talk a little bit about what I've been working on, playing in my free time, how I've been stressing out and pushing my Xbox to its absolute limits with epic games. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk about what I've been eating. And this week, oh boy, oh boy. Am I glad to tell you about what I've been eating? Because, guys, you know how it is. If you've been listening to Xbox on for a while, you, you know how it is. Jesse's kind of a little bit, like, on the spectrum when it comes to, like, his stupid hobbies. One day he'll be all like, Chuck E. Cheese is the shit. I don't see why a 27-year-old man can't go to Chuck E. Cheese on his own. There's nothing wrong about that. And then, like, two months later I'll be like, all right, guys, I'm really into Whole Foods now or some weird shit like that. But I got a new one. I got a new kick. I got a new thing I'm in. It's a kink, if you will. Guys, right now, if you're drinking coffee... I need you to spit that coffee out, unless that coffee is caribou coffee. That's right, because caribou coffee is coffee that cares about you. Damn, I should be, I should work for caribou coffee. Anyway, yeah, guys, it's caribou coffee time, and I'm all about it. So there's a decent chance that like 87.10,000% of people listening to this podcast do not know what the hell caribou coffee is. Um, and that's because, unfortunately, uh, caribou coffee is just, it just doesn't really have a whole large presence. It, it exists in a lot of countries, uh, predominantly the U.S. They are they are a Minnesota-based company, but uh, they're just not that big. They are a coffee chain, a coffee shop, very similar to Starbucks. You know, they got like the little breakfast pastries, some little uh, little breakfast sandwiches, little co- like cake pops and that kind of thing. But otherwise, it's just a big coffee menu. They got lattes, they got hot coffee, they got all that shit, but then they got the crazy drinks with the Frappuccino this and the refresher that. So it is very similar in terms of like the size, the scope, what it offers to like a Starbucks. But the thing about Caribou Coffee that makes it so special is 
the the their actual quality of their coffee is just so much better than Starbucks in my experience. The few times I've managed to get my hands on some caribou coffee, I've always enjoyed it so much better. And the thing I like even more about it is I just really love their atmosphere, their their the coziness. If you ever get the the pleasurable experience of going into a caribou coffee. Uh, a standalone location, not like one in an airport or a mall. They're just so cozy. They just look like a, a little Alaskan, um, little, uh, I don't even know what to say about it, like some cabin in the woods kind of thing. They got the little moose logo. It's just so cute and cozy. There's something about it. It makes you want to put on a nice warm winter jacket and just uh, have a good cup of coffee and be like, mmm, caribou coffee. And there's something about it, man. I just, I love it and I miss it. And uh, you know what the craziest part of all is? We don't even have caribou coffee here in Florida. So it makes extra zero sense that I'm just like on some ridiculous caribou coffee kick. So I'm, I'm freaking out about them. I'm dying to have some caribou coffee myself. So I went over to Amazon.com and I ordered myself some caribou coffee. Like, you know, like the, the coffee you buy in stores in the bag. You know, you can go you can go to the grocery store and buy yourself some Starbucks coffee, some Dunkin' Donuts coffee. So I did that. I went on Amazon.com and I ordered some caribou coffee, shipped it to my home. And I've been drinking it. And I got to be honest, it's... Caribou coffee is so enjoyable that it's like one of the only coffees I can drink black and still enjoy. I don't even need a little bit of cream or half and half or anything to go with it. I'm just more than happy to enjoy it completely black and you know, maybe a touch of sugar or something like that. But man, oh man, caribou coffee, it's the good shit. And I'm really excited because next week, Cronky is getting married. But that's not why I'm excited. I'm excited because his wedding is back home in Georgia. So I had to fly back to Atlanta where, guess what? We happen to have a couple of caribou lo- coffee locations in Atlanta. So maybe maybe hit, hit up the one in the airport or something. And if I'm really lucky, maybe I get to go to the old caribou coffee that's uh, right there next to my old college campus. Like I used to in the cool days where I get a two-hour break in between in between fucking, I don't know, what what class would I do that in between? Like fucking um, some some literature or something or other class and then you go over to caribou coffee get yourself a little a little latte chill out on a on a cold january atlanta evening god it's just nothing like it man so i'm all i'm all hooked on the caribou coffee i'm excited to go home and get to have a little bit of it and uh i you know if anyone out there from the caribou coffee corporate office is listening just li- just hear me out guys how about you open a caribou coffee location here in sunny florida usa why don't you do it isn't that sa- it's insane. Florida is one of the biggest states, both by size and population. And for whatever fucking reason, we don't have caribou coffee. This state is literally overrun by transplants. Nobody in the state of Florida is from the state of Florida. So clearly there are going to be people who live here who have experience with the caribou coffee brand because they came from some other part of the country that has caribou coffee. So bring it here, man. You have, I'm sure you have your fans who are willing to support it. I'm sure the brand will catch on well here. Let's fucking do it. Bring caribou coffee to Florida. Make it happen. Uh, in addition to that, I have been going, I also went to Einstein Bagels. I, I want to give Einstein Bagels a little bit of a shout out as well. I think at one point, I, don't, I really don't understand this. These companies do a really bad job of making this aware. I think at one point what happened was caribou coffee bought out Einstein Bagels and then Panera Bread bought out Caribou Coffee and Einstein Bagels. So now Panera Bread owns both of these brands. And I know for a while there, Einstein Bagels would sell Caribou Coffee. And for those who don't know, Einstein Bagels, it's a popular chain bagel shop 
You go there, you get bagels, you get breakfast sandwiches, and they have coffee, of course. It's pretty solid. It's it's not the greatest place ever. You know, if you're from, like, fucking New York, I'm sure you think it's terrible bagels, but they're fine. For, for a chain breakfast shop, I actually like a, a ba- uh, Einstein bagels. Similar thing to Caribou Coffee. I enjoy the atmosphere. It feels like a like an early 2000s kind of, like, jazzy coffee shop and i enjoy the feeling there but uh so we, we we go into an einstein bagels this past weekend with the hopes that they still serve caribou coffee but for whatever fucking reason despite the fact that they're owned by the same parent company einstein bagels no longer serves caribou coffee they now serve a different brand of coffee that is original and unique to einstein bagels what the fuck so that was a bummer so then i try to do my digging my research and all you can all, all you can ever find out is just that panera bread owns both of them and just and that's it. That's all you ever find. It's like a dead end. It's like someone doesn't want you to know the real history behind how these three brands came to be interlocked with one another. And it sucks because I love Caribou Coffee. I like Einstein Bagels. And I really don't like Panera Bread. Fuck Panera Bread. And Panera Bread, we need to get you out. We need to cut them out. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, fans, Xbox, if you're listening... Feel free to donate to the, um, I don't know, feel free to just leave a donation to the podcast. Not not for me, not so I can, you know, whatever. It's not, I'm not trying to profit off you guys. It's so that we can get enough money raised that we can collectively come together and buy Caribou Coffee back from Panera Bread, free the brand from Panera Bread, and, 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 and get that brand to really expand into new markets. You know, we got listeners here in Australia. Australian listeners, do you guys want a caribou coffee? Let's fucking get caribou coffee in Australia. Uh, you know, I, I'm here in Florida. I'd like a caribou coffee. Let's get a couple of them, in fact. Uh, a couple next to Walt Disney World would be nice in particular. Uh, let, let's make it fucking happen, guys. British listeners, I know we got you. We got some people listening in Mexico, Germany. Let's fucking do it. Caribou coffee for everyone. I want to be the motherfucking Oprah Winfrey of caribou coffee. Don't you understand? Okay. Sorry, I'm hyped up on all this caribou coffee I've been drinking. It's very caffeinated. Okay, well, that's it for what I've been drinking slash eating. Probably going to get on that kick for another week or two, so sorry in advance if, you, if you're not enjoying it. But uh, the other thing is, before we can move on to what I've been playing, we have kind of a news story that is very Xbox-related, but is also equally food-related, and this is not a common occurrence. And I didn't really know where to put this little tiny news story, so I guess I just threw it in here because, you know, it's Xbox-related, but it's also food-related. So, guys, quick news story. Oreo is teaming up with Microsoft to sell a limited edition Xbox Oreo cookie. Or what's what's this world come to, gamers? So, uh, new special edition packs of Oreos, uh, which will launch in the month of January uh, and will be on sale in 22 different countries. Uh, They're just basic standard Oreos, but the packaging has Xbox on it, and the cookies are different. So, you know, the Oreo cookies have, like, the little engravings of the Oreo logo. Well, if you buy the Xbox-branded Oreos, you will see... um, you will see some of the cookies have the Xbox logo. Some of the cookies have, like, different buttons from the controller on them. So, like, one cookie will have a B, one will have an X, one will have an A or a Y, uh, which is kind of stupid because there's nothing inherently Xbox about the letter B, but okay. Um, you know, whatever. I'm sure the the ones with the Xbox logo themselves will be uh, a nice nod for fans, supposedly. supposedly. Uh, but players will also be able to win prizes by scanning the Xbox Oreo special edition cookies. That's not clear exactly how that works yet. I'm sure there'll be some kind of uh, there'll be some kind of hashtag or fucking website or whatever. Kind of like when you use your Mountain Dew to get double XP in Call of Duty, which I've done a lot of recently. So I don't know. I guess it's just something to make gamers aware of. Be on the lookout if you enjoy Oreo cookies. Uh, 
we're getting Xbox branded Oreo cookies pretty soon. So there's that as well. I'm sure I'll probably pick up a pack because I'm a fucking child. But guys, that is it for the what I've been eating this week. Now I'd like to just uh, do a quick what I've been playing. And man, I don't know. I just I, I wish I had more to say uh, here because my plan was to really start and get deep into Persona 5. I have it loaded up on my Xbox. I'm ready to play it. But I've just really been feeling out Modern Warfare 2. I just I just got to be honest. This game's got me by the balls. You know, I had so much fun with it when it first came out at the end of October. And then I forced myself to put it down a couple of weeks after it came out because I was like, no, no, no. I'm not going to do that thing I sometimes do where I play so much of the new Call of Duty that I miss all the other big games coming out. I want to I want to have the experiences with all the other big games that are interesting. I, I want to share the love. So I forced myself to, to go away from Call of Duty so I could play Evil West, Callisto Protocol, of course, Sonic Frontiers. That wasn't hard to do. I, that was, you know, my my dying passion was to play that game. And so I, I played a couple of other games. And by the time I was done with Callisto Protocol, I was actually really not in the mood for Modern Warfare anymore. And so, I don't know, I, I, I made myself take a little break. I was like, I played a lot of single-player games back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. So I took a little bit of a break. I did all that winter complimentary battle pass thing that was in Halo Infinite. Had a lot of fun with that. I've been playing a lot of Halo Infinite on the side. I continue to think Halo Infinite is just such a good game now. It's just finally where I've always needed it to be. It's goddamn play Halo Infinite now. But uh, that that aside, I don't know. I was just like, let me just play a little multiplayer for a couple days before I jump into my next big single-player experience. And so I started playing a little bit of Modern Warfare 2. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. It's coming back, baby. And I don't know. It's just kind of weird because generally the way it works for me with Call of Duty is like, if a new Treyarch or Black Ops kind of Call of Duty comes out, I'm like, I'm hooked. I'm fucking in. You know, just whatever. Endless hours. I'll play it for a long-ass time. But generally, with, like, a Modern Warfare game, I get hooked a little bit, but I don't stay on it for too long. So it's a little surprising to me how how much I'm really loving Modern Warfare 2. In fact, this might be blasphemous, especially considering that, due to my age, I'm actually, like, in that prime age category of people that absolutely adore and grew up with the original Modern Warfare 1 and 2 and the original World at War Black Ops, like Xbox 360 era Call of Duty. Like that is my prime youth. You know, that was like my eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade experience was like those classic seminal, the best Call of Duty games. So it's kind of surprising to me that I'm about to say what I'm about to say, but I kind of think that the new Modern Warfare 2 might actually be my favorite Modern Warfare of all time. And that's, I know that's going to be a controversial hot take, but I thought the campaign was just like super fucking cool. I love the characters. I think it's memorable. It's just like, it's just like a fun G.I. Joe movie that I just want to watch over and over again. I, I thought the fucking the, the multiplayer maps, I thought they were really good. I think the balancing is a lot better than some previous Call of Duties. I just really adore this game. I like the way they've done the customization, the weapon progression, and all these unlocks. And I'm just helplessly addicted to this game. It's it's weird because when it happened with Black Ops Cold War, I wasn't as surprised because that's the kind of Call of Duty experience I normally go for. But with Modern Warfare 2, I'm, I, I don't know what's happening here because Modern Warfare is the slower, the more tactical, the lower time to kill, the more like kind of sweaty Call of Duty experience. But for some reason, with this particular Modern Warfare, I, I don't, I, it just doesn't feel as much the case. That was my gripe with Modern Warfare 2019 was I thought the campaign was super great. And then I just hated the multiplayer because it just felt so tactical, so slow, so sweaty. And don't get me wrong, compared to Black Ops Cold War or even Vanguard, Modern Warfare 2 definitely does feel like a slower and more sweaty tactical Call of Duty, but not by a whole lot. It's it's light enough to where th- this game just feels like 
this weird balance between like the arcadey fun of a Black Ops game with the slow, methodical, tactical, uh, camper-friendly nature of like a modern warfare game. And so I, I, I don't know. It's not, it's not by any means my favorite Call of Duty, but it's way better than I, I, I thought I would. You know, I, I enjoy it way more than I thought I would, and I'm, I'm like kind of a little more invested in it than I thought I would as far as long term goes. So unfortunately, I've just been playing more Modern Warfare Two, and I only say unfortunately just because I feel sometimes like a, a random arbitrary pressure to experience new games so i have new games to talk about on the podcast and share that with you guys but you know it's not always fun and exciting for me to just be like yeah i'm playing more halo and more call of duty yeah i'm playing more halo and more. at some point i'm sure there are people listening to the show who are just like this guy's not a fucking gamer he's just a stupid bro xbox first person shooter fan but man I, I mean you like what you like and sometimes it's just comforting to sit on the couch after a long week of work and just be like Bro, I'm playing Call of Duty this week, and I, I don't care. I'm turning on my favorite podcast. I'm playing Modern Warfare 2, and uh, everything else can kind of just fuck off for a while because I need this. And this game has been really doing that for me. And so, I don't know. I'm grateful for it. It's something, uh, it's something at this point in my life, you know, in my late 20s, it's something I really enjoy. I'm not, I don't, I don't do a whole lot of like going out. I'm not a super social person. I don't like very loud, crowded situations with the exception of maybe being at a theme park. (laughs) But, um, there's just, I don't know. There's like that. That's like my thing at this point in my life where the most happy and comfortable and complacent and just satisfied I can feel is just a Saturday afternoon sitting on the couch, Xbox controller in my hand, playing some call of duty or halo, fucking listen to my favorite podcasts and then the only thing you need to stop for is maybe a, a nice Italian sub, a couple of Pringles. It's really all you need. doesn't really get much better in life at this point for me. So, uh, I don't know. That's it for what I've been playing, guys. But um, let's move on to the actual full-fledged news because we've got some really exciting stuff, starting with the uh, Xbox Developer Direct that was just confirmed the day as I'm recording this. And so I'm sure a lot of us are excited to think about this more, hear more about this, just look forward to this happening. So let's get into the news. All right, so let's just talk about the big one here, guys. From VGC, Xbox and Bethesda will be live streaming a, quote, developer direct on Wednesday, January 25th. It has finally been announced after many rumors. According to Xbox, the event will provide fans with an inside look at some of the games coming to Xbox, PC, and Game Pass over the next few months. Keynote, next few months. Highlighting that for talking about. That includes big features, extended gameplay showcases, and the latest info on Xbox game launching in the next couple months, including Elder Scrolls Online, Forza Motorsport, Minecraft Legends, and Redfall. To dedicate the proper amount of time for the deep dive into Bethesda Games Studio Starfield, a standalone show is in the works, the companies said. The event will begin on 12 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and include the following content in Microsoft's words. The Elder Scrolls Online studio director Matt Fire uh, Fire whatever will unveil 2023's major chapter update, including the latest regions of Tamriel to become playable in ESO, as well as major new features coming to the game's or yeah, sorry coming in the game's biggest update this year. Next up, Forza Motorsport. The team at Turn 10 Studios has been working hard to bring fans the next generation of Forza Motorsport, built from the ground up to take advantage of the Xbox Series S and X. Next up, Minecraft Legends. Mojang Studios will uh, showcase an insider's look into the PvP multiplayer experience of Minecraft Legends, the upcoming action strategy game from the makers of Minecraft. And lastly, Redfall. The minds behind Dishonored and Prey Arcane Austin will show several minutes of gameplay from the upcoming FPS game. The developer direct will reveal single and multiplayer gameplay. All right, guys. So here's the big one. We've been waiting for it for a long time following the Game Awards, which was 
December 8th, a full month ago, uh, you know, everyone was like, where the hell is Xbox? This is super disappointing. What the hell, Xbox? And Aaron Greenberg pretty shortly afterwards was like, don't worry, we have stuff to talk about soon. I know you guys are disappointed. We're sorry to hear about that, but we have plenty of exciting things to say in 2023. And then shortly after that, Jez Corden and a bunch of other insiders started to be like, yo, I'm hearing murmurings that we're probably going to get some news pretty damn soon. So look forward to probably January, probably the first month of the year for some big Xbox news. And boom, here we finally are. We have that confirmation and we're getting a facetime call sorry about that all right where were we damn um anyway so yeah we, we finally have our big announcement here it is xbox showcase is happening and a couple things obviously they're doing things a little differently it looks like we're not going to have a host as some people are, re are reporting it's going to be more like a playstation state of play or nintendo direct style video where it's just going to be like hey guys here's a look at xbox the next couple months or whatever and then they're just going to go like beat for beat maybe like a 20 25 minute short and sweet kind of presentation which i think would be Pretty awesome, just in the in, in the sense that Xbox is a little kind of drawn out sometimes with these kinds of things. I think if you can cut out the Phil Spencers and the Sarah Bonds being like, we want gamers in the living room playing together wherever they want, whatever. If you can cut that stuff out and just keep it short and sweet and to the to the point, I think it makes some fans some, a, little, a little happier. Kind of like that event we got in the, I think it was May of 2020 when we got that Xbox Series X uh, third-party showcase that they did, which I, I thought was super awesome. It was just banger after banger. If we can get something like that a little bit, I think this would be pretty good. But it does seem like what they're trying to do is focus on some key titles and, and not really do much outside of that, which is kind of why they're outlining exactly what to expect. Now, anyway, I, th I think all that is, is all well and good. But I think the key thing to focus here is that they're, they're framing all this around. Here's what you can look forward to on PC, Game Pass, and Xbox over the next few months. As you'll remember from last week, the rumors as of now are that Redfall is coming out in May. Minecraft Legends, we already knew that was a spring release, so that will probably be an April release. Elder Scrolls Online, new update, new whatever. Like I, I don't, I'm trying to be super polite when I say this, but no one gives a shit. Um, and then Forza Motorsport, that's the surprising one right there because Forza Motorsport is traditionally a, a late year release. It's usually around like a November kind of release. And keep in mind, this we're talking about Forza Motorsport, not Forza Horizon. This is the classic Forza Motorsport, the more nitty gritty, nerdy sim racing game. So we haven't seen one of these since Forza Motorsport 7, which was... 2017, I think it's been it's been a minute since we've had a Forza Motorsport. So this is actually quite exciting. Wait, was Forza Motorsport 7 2019? Am I completely wrong? Let me let me double check. No, it was 2017. I'm right. Yeah, Forza Motorsport 7 2017. So oh my god, by the time this game comes out, it'll have been a full six years since the last Forza Motorsport, which is insanely exciting because as as we know, the as the as the as the story goes, supposedly this is the the Forza Game Pass platform right as opposed to just the next sequel kind of the way that halo infinite at least we don't know if it will still be that way but was supposed to be kind of like the halo platform for game pass to where you you get you get forza motorsport this new title they're making and it's just kind of like where you go to play forza motorsport they will continue to add new tracks new cars new features over time into this platform so it's like kind of built to be the next decade of forza if you will so that that's a pretty big deal if they're if they're talking about this being a title to look forward to in the next couple months because generally this would be a big fall release this is going to be a big game nonetheless 
And they're talking about it here as if it's something that just might kind of be eked out in the next four months or less. And that's just kind of kind of super surprising. That's just not really what you'd expect from Forza. So I don't know. I really would be shocked, generally speaking. Like, if you had asked me until today, I'd be shocked to see Forza come anytime before September, honestly. I, w- I would guess September would be the absolute earliest you would see that game released. So I'm, I'm a little perplexed with that one, if I'm being completely honest. So curious to see... If, if they really mean like the next few months, like everything we're talking about today will be out in the next couple months. But judging by the fact that we know Minecraft Legends is confirmed for a spring release, very, very strong rumors are suggesting that Redfall will be out in May. It's, it does seem like they are sticking to a, you know, a list of things coming in the next couple months. So very curious to see what they end up doing with Forza. I think it would be a mistake to put Forza out so early in the year because the early part of this year is already so jam-packed. And it's not to say that, oh man, you know, Forza is going to, if you put Forts out early in the year, I mean, dude, uh, Hogwarts Legacy is really going to eat Motorsports' lunch. You know, these are very different markets, very different games. So you can have a, a big, nerdy sim racing game out to, to compete in this market. But it is such a busy time. You would think just for the sake of having, you know, some some um, some powder in the cannon for, for Game Pass, so to speak, that you would want to maybe hold this game till later in the year just because between Minecraft Legends and Redfall and just all the many games coming out early in this year. Game Pass is already busy, you know? Game Pass is already really busy. Remember, we're about to get, in just a month here, Atomic Heart, which is, you know, my most anticipated game of 2023 right now. And so just between... So so many good games coming out in Game Pass very shortly. So I just find it a little hard to believe that they want to put this out early in the year, in the first half at all, to be honest. So that's the first thing that... That gets me. I feel completely confident just kind of skipping over Elder Scrolls because, yes, Elder Scrolls Online is a popular game. It has its player base. It has its fan base. I'm sure there are people who listen to this podcast who enjoy this game and play it regularly. But the fact of the matter is the vast majority of people are like, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> like this is like this is like if we just talked ad nauseum about Fantasy Star Online 2 where it's definitely a game that has an audience and it, it's, it has legs. It's still going to this day. But, like, come on, man. Like, who really gives a shit? We're not going to talk about an expansion or some new content into Elder Scrolls Online as if it is one-to-one akin to like a brand new game like Minecraft Legends or, or Redfall. You know, it's just not, it's just not the same. There's that. But then there's also the last kicker here where they where they talk about how, hey, we know you guys are thinking about Starfield. We know it's the big game of 2023. We are, we are going to have a separate standalone show for that. The only thing about that that confuses me, you know, and the rumor was that that was going to be the case. The other thing that confuses me about that is that there are also rumors suggesting that Starfield is basically ready to launch imminently in the first half of the year. And so there are also rumors suggesting that Starfield is going to launch before Redfall. So in order for this to be the case, for all these things to be true, that means Starfield will probably have to get its own dedicated direct style event in February. March at the absolute latest, but February, and then they would kind of like shadow drop the game. So I just, you gotta, you gotta believe a lot of first time things are going to happen in order for all these strong, incredible rumors to be true, because have, have Bethesda ever kind of launched a game real close to announcement? Yeah, kind of, you know, Fallout 4 was announced in like May or June and then released in like November back in 2015 so you know that was good it only had like a four month window or four or five month announcement to marketing to release window so that was pretty cool but that's not always how they really do it and that's not i don't know like they've never like they've never announced a game and then had it out within a day or a week or a month but then again i guess anything's possible i mean we live in a world where halo infinite was supposed to launch in december of 20 
21 and then they were like surprise it's november 15th or whatever and here it is today and it just kind of shadow dropped at least the multiplayer component so it is possible that they could do that and it would be a huge boon to game pass and a huge marketing push and a huge just big hype moment if they could be like starfield you know that game that everyone's saying is going to be the biggest game of 2023 fuck you here it is right now go play it motherfucker that is that is a good way to drum up some serious hype and to just get a lot of people to drop what they're doing and to pay attention like i guess if you're if you're microsoft and you want to put starfield out in the beginning of 2023 you're trying to get it in those first couple months but you're looking at the calendar and you're saying holy hell it is a busy busy time you know hogwarts legacy fucking got all these games i don't know why hogwarts legacy is the only game coming to mind but there's so many games coming out right now and uh you're trying to figure out where to fit starfield in there i i guess maybe it's possible you're looking at the potential for a shadow drop and you're like you know what this is a good way to steal thunder from all the other games coming out around this time is to just kind of be like boom bitches here it is and then it's just such a mind-melting thing that we would do that that it will make people stop what they're doing and pay attention but at the same time it's like i don't know man that could completely backfire because it also could be true that it's such a busy time that if you just shadow drop this thing, people will be like, oh my God, that just came out. Fuck, I'm already, I've already just committed my money or my time to this other game because it just came out and like, ah, I'll have to put that up later. I don't, I don't know, man. So it's a, it's a risky move. If all these rumors are to be believed and this is the path we're going. And remember these rumors so far have been right. They were right about an event in, in sometime in January. They were right about seemingly right about Redfall being out, you know, earlier in the year by may and they're seemingly right about just a lot of these details so maybe they are right about this uh this starfield shit but it's just i don't know man that's that's kind of crazy to think that they might just shadow drop this bitch in, in the next you know in between february march and april and, and you think about it it's like it's kind of confusing because if you put the game at starfield comes out in november you, you would think that's probably where forza was supposed to go right but if you know if it comes out in 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 april that's probably around where where minecraft legends is supposed to be so that doesn't make sense but we know it's supposed to come out possibly before redfall so that doesn't really make sense it's like you know where starfield makes the most sense you know what would be so fucking cool is if starfield came out in like july that'd be amazing dude no one wants to go outside july's hot it's miserable it sucks don't go outside don't don't play in the water just stay inside and play Starfield. No games come out in the summer. That's still true this day. Every other time of the year is busy with games except for the summer. Just put a massive big behemoth game like Starfield smack dab in the middle of summertime. I swear to God. That'd be such a good time to put this game out. But I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see with Starfield. I'm still just a, a little kind of on the fence about which way I think that's going to go. But as for this event, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's cool. You know, it's kind of like that time of the year where no one's really expecting much of anything. The holidays are over. The big gaming season is over. We're all kind of like twiddling our thumbs waiting for the next cool thing to happen. And all of a sudden we got this fun Xbox event to look forward to. And I'll be honest, between Minecraft Legends and Redfall, I'm pretty hyped. Because <laughs> I, I think Minecraft Legends sounds really cool. I thought Minecraft Dungeons was really cool. I like the Minecraft IP. I like the cool things, the unique things that Mojang's doing with it. So I'm excited to see that. Redfall just looks like it's one of my most hyped games of the year. I'm so excited to see that. I just really want that tone and that atmosphere it just looks like a game I want to exist in and play so badly. So I'm really looking forward to that. Forza, I'm, yeah, I like Forza. I'm, I'm more of a Horizon guy than a motorsport guy, but I am deeply interested just to kind of see how they're how they're playing on utilizing this platform. I just think it's really fun to watch and see how they're handling this and what they're going to do with it. So I'm I'm really looking forward to this event. To be quite honest, three o'clock Wednesday the 25th. Man, that's gonna be crazy. I'll I'll, I'll basically what we'll do is we'll, we'll watch it. 
it'll happen and then I'll go right into recording the podcast and it'll be out the next day. So you'll get you'll get a podcast episode pretty fresh following all this news. So thank you, Xbox, for lining that up pretty cleanly with my schedule. That is very beneficial. Guys, let's move into our next story here. Uh, sticking with Xbox, first party, we'll talk about some Halo. This is the second half of the debunking bad rumors story. So game ranks, we go back to... They're talking about Halo Infinite now. They say Halo Infinite's slip space engine has been the topic of discussion among Halo fans or the Halo community for quite some time. Back in October of 2022, YouTuber Sean W. noted that the franchise may shift over to the Unreal Engine 5. Journalists in the industry uh, and industry insider Jez Corden from Windows Central also know that Halo's slip space engine has seen has widely been seen as problematic for 343 and have been a burden to continue development on Halo Infinite's live service model. While Halo Infinite's multiplayer launched with relatively few bugs at the time, it was criticized for the lack of content despite having a really solid gameplay loop. The slip space engine came under fire and was regarded by many as the problem for the large sections of Halo Infinite's missing content. Rumors continue to circulate about the engine and when some believe that 343 was going to shift over to uh, Unreal Engine 5, the game's Battle Royale mode, Halo Tatanka, uh, as it's rumored to be called. Uh, 343i has been working in collaboration with certain affinity on the project and was never really of any concrete evidence that the move to Unreal Engine 5 was in any way true. 343's decision to stick with Slipspace Engine could well be uh, could well be down to the fact that the project has been in production for over two years and the move uh, over from the of engine would be a monumental task. Alongside this, an employee at 343, Alex Coral, who joined the company in September of 2022, notes that in the job description on LinkedIn that he's working on a real-time lighting and narrative for cinematics utilizing 343's proprietary slipspace engine. Let's hope that means single-player content. This could well confirm that at the moment, 343 has not decided to shift away from slipspace engine just yet and that it can be assumed that they intend to stick with the engine for the entirety of Halo Tatanka's development. So here's hoping for that. So yeah, it's a, this is actually a, a, a bit of a relief for me. I don't know why I cared so much, but I was, when these rumors were starting to go, I was like, nah, there's no fucking chance. That's not happening. And I was glad that Jez Corden's original take was also kind of like mine where he was like, nah, man, there's no, there's no chance. That shit's not happening. And then he, he did some digging. He was like, Holy shit, I, I, I might be wrong. You guys might remember this. This basically happened in real time on Twitter where Jess Corn was like, holy shit, I thought this was just a bunch of just of just just a bunch of like uh, clout chasing basically. But oh, my God, it looks like there might be some validity to this based on what some sources were saying and some, what, what some back end things were indicating. But now we're getting word that it seems like that might not be the case. So what this confirms to me is that well, what this does not confirm is that it might still very well be true that slip space engine is just an absolute, absolute bitch. And that maybe 343 wishes they had just used unreal engine from the get. But what it does confirm to me is that they, there's no turning back now. They're too far gone and that they have to stick with slip space. And that I kind of prefer it to be that way. Cause honestly, I feel like Halo, it's, it's a halo tradition to have that proprietary halo tech that you use to build this game out. And I feel like the solution is more to, you know, this is outsider looking in kind of perspective, of course, because you know, what do I know about how hard it is to work with your own proprietary engine versus, you know, abandoning ship and switching over. But I don't know. I just, I, I would rather see them kind of double down and fix what they have and, and keep that, that linear, the lineage, that halo history of, we have a proprietary engine that is built specifically to service this massive property that is just so monumental to the Xbox brand and legacy. And I liked having it that way, so it made me a little sad that they were just going to switch to Unreal Engine 5 and abandon their hard work that they put into Slipspace. But also, these rumors just, they always just felt so hard to believe because it's like, 
dude, how do you pour that much money and time? I mean, it took years and millions and millions of dollars to build this engine. How are you going to just abandon it at this point? You can't just do that. If you're Microsoft, you cannot be allowing that. You, you got to be like, no, no, dude, we built this shit. We're going to make it profitable. We're going to we're gonna make it worth our time. We cannot just rebuild this game and move it over to a different engine in real time. It's just it's not a good use of resources and time. We cannot justify this. So not sure, but I feel more confident than ever that Halo is going to slip with the stick, uh, stick with the slip space engine. Here's one thing about this story that it kind of it kind of sparks this conversation. I, I want to touch on a little bit and see what you guys think about it. I'd love for to hear if you if you want to write in and let me know your thoughts on this. But I'm starting to see a lot of like the Halo YouTube community, a lot of the Halo fan community, and maybe this is just to kind of generate things to talk about in a slow time or to try and just get clicks and clout because it's basically all the fucking internet is at this point. There's no actual real information being spread. It's just hi, here's hypotheticals to get attention. I don't know. Who knows? It's probably what I'm doing right now on this podcast, but who knows? The, the thing I want to throw to you and think about is, do you buy in at any capacity to this notion that that Halo might be shifting away from this whole Halo Infinite is a platform? You know, we just talked about Forza Motorsport and how that was kind of positioned and pitched as like a 10-year platform for Forza rather than just being Forza Motorsport 8. You know, it's just going to be Forza Motorsport. And over the 10 years, we can add features, functions, updates, cars, tracks, whatever we want to do, right? And that was kind of what Halo Infinite was supposed to be. You know, it's you got this base campaign, you got this base multiplayer, and over 10 years, we will add additional campaigns like Destiny does. We will add new new seasons of content, new weapons, new maps, new, we uh, new modes, everything. And I actually was a really strong proponent of this idea. I, I love this for Halo. I think I think it's really cool to have a kind of games-as-a-service Halo. I, I'm not a huge fan of this industry-wide push towards games-as-a-service for everything, but I think it works very well for Halo. Halo is one of those franchises where it's like, I kind of want to find a Halo I love and just get cozy with it for a long duration. I don't like having to jump ship every couple of years to a brand new game. I kind of wish Call of Duty would do this shit more. I wish Call of Duty could just be black ops for 10 years and be like cool we'll add new maps new guns new modes we'll invest in battle royale but fucking here it's black ops <laughs> you know it'd just, it'd just be it'd be nice rather than just having to constantly like every year or a couple of years be like all right buy this previous entry in the series i'm just gonna abandon you and forget about you and never play you again let's move on you know it's halo is a i don't know it's a, it's a franchise that deserves a kind of ongoing celebration to, to just be a platform and to continue on indefinitely and i feel like they they kind of lined up the dominoes and set the tee up they teed up just so perfectly to be able to do this by making the master chief collection such a perfect collection encompassment of all of halo and all that it was from start to infinite and being like hey here's this platform in perpetuity where you can just you can just enjoy all of the legacy and the lineage of halo and now we're going to move on with halo and make it a games as a service beginning with halo infinite uh, you know obviously halo 5 notwithstanding of course but going on with halo infinite I, I just really i don't know i was really in support of it i thought it was a good move and i, I just i thought it would be beneficial to halo to xbox it'd just be a, a a bold move that i was in support of and it just seems like We've moved away from that. Like all the Halo YouTubers, all the Halo influencers, and all the media people seem to be talking about Halo Infinite as if, you know, the damage has been done. The game is irreputably damaged. It cannot be fixed. And now, what 343 and Microsoft are going to do is just 
treat Halo Infinite like it's Halo like it's Halo 6 and just move on. Okay, the damage has been done. The campaign's there. The multiplayer's there. We will continue to do seasonal content. We will continue to add battle passes and maps, of course. But expect Halo 7 in, in, in four years. And I really hope that's not what they're doing because... God, it would be like doing to Halo Infinite what you did to the Xbox One, which is just like you had a vision, you had a plan, you fumbled out the gate, and then you gave up on it instead of seeing your vision through the end. It's like, no, fucking see your vision through the end, dude. I truly believe Halo Infinite can make the comeback it needs. I think with a great Battle Royale mode, with great seasonal content, and great consistent updates and features to the game, I really do believe that Halo Infinite can grow an audience back. I think it can be a big game. I don't think necessarily that it'll ever you know be what it could have been had they just come out the gate swinging and never stopped but um i do, i do really think that this game can grow a very healthy player base and a justifiable platform for itself if they just don't fuck up anymore if they just you know like you know this summer show us your next campaign for halo infinite give us a give us a trailer drop it tease a release date show us what you're working on for the, what's next in the story you know, show us season three, have season four be no more than three months after season three, you know, have have a, a new mode to talk about. Where's this Battle Royale mode? If they can if they can start to do this and really make Halo this like just complete ongoing live service like it was supposed to be, I really think they'll they'll pick up the steam and they'll get the audience back. I don't I don't want to see them pack it up and give up here. You know, Halo Infinite had a really rough first year and that's unfortunate. But, you know, as I just mentioned in the what I've been playing, like. Dude, Halo Infinite is there. It is the game today that it should have been when it came out a year ago. And yes, that sucks, and there's no going back on that. But if they can just get it right from here on out, I, I think this is a game that is deserving and worthy of being that 10-year games-as-a-service Halo platform that they originally talked about it being. I just don't see anyone talk about that anymore, so I'm just curious. Do you guys, What do you guys see? And <clears throat> if they have to stick with slip space, if, if there is no escape route to go over to unreal engine 5 does that does that lend more credence to what i'm saying about doubling down on the games as a service aspect or is that unrelated entirely or does that mean now they can kind of cut does it mean quite the opposite do you think it means now they can cut ties with halo infinite and be like okay that's on slip space fuck that we're moving on to halo 7 and we're going to develop it from the ground up in in unreal engine i don't know i'm curious what you guys think about it it just really bums me out this notion that like halo infinite is another like well we'll get it right next time because i i don't think it has to be i don't think that story has to be the case i think the halo infinite is incredibly uh, i think halo infinite i think the halo community is incredibly pessimistic i think they're incredibly negative and just mean-spirited and they're way too hard on 343 and yeah i think 343 needs to be held accountable and i think they fucked up plenty but i i genuinely i genuinely think they are the best developers out there for the halo franchise I think they have the best intentions in mind, and I think if you just if if we can just get make sure they are being properly managed and given the proper resources and team, and and not fuck it up the way Microsoft did with the development of Halo Infinite, I really think they can they can knock it out of the park. And we're already starting to see that with what they've done in the past couple months with this game because this game is truly great now. And I don't know, I just want to I just want to continue to see Halo. You know whether whether the audience is there or not, whether the, the people decide to give it the respect it does or doesn't deserve. I just want to see Halo be given the proper, actual, necessary resources and space and time to do exactly what they need to do. Give it the proper leadership. Let them have a permanent staff. Don't do this fucking contract for higher work. Just, like, give 343 the breathing room, the space, and the encouragement to just do the right thing. Because I'm pretty damn sure they will get it right. We just need Microsoft to not fuck it up. I think Microsoft's the one fucking it up a lot more than 343, if I'm just being completely honest. And I think the fans are just... 
a little, to be honest, just a little out of touch, a little un, uh, oblivious to how these things actually work, and honestly, a little, a little selfish and entitled, and sometimes just obnoxious as hell. I don't know. The Halo, Halo community is like right up there with Star Wars these days, where I'm like, I, I don't like you guys. Get away from me. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of things I don't like, NetEase has acquired Halo and Minecraft co-developer Skybox Labs. So from VGC, the und- the uh, Skybox was um, acquired the Canadian studio for an undisclosed sum of money, founded in 2011 and based in Burnaby in Victoria. Skybox has made two original titles, 2016's Tasty Lethal Tactics and 2019's Stella. It is also the co-developer of many more high-profile games for publishers, including Xbox Game Studios and Electronic Arts, EA Sports UCF. The studio is currently working on Halo Infinite, Minecraft games, and Fallout 76. Lots of Xbox titles. It's previously contributed to other Halo and Minecraft titles, plus multiple entries in Microsoft's Age of Empires entry series and the platform holders Project Spark. Remember Project Spark? According to Friday's, uh, uh, sorry, according to the announcement last week, Skybox will operate independently within NetEase Games under the leadership of three co-founder Shang Kong Derek McNeil and Steven Sylvester. It will continue to work closely with the existing partners and co-develop uh, co games in the PC and console space and will be adding new ones in the future. Quote, we have built a team of talented individuals who are passionate and creative. By joining with NetEase Games, we'll be able to accelerate our plans to pursue and creative new op- opportunities and enjoy access to world-class operation resources and a full breadth of development in NetEase's services so we can scale faster in Canada, said co-founder Kong. Uh, Skybox is the latest string of studio acquisitions by Chinese tech and the giant NetE- gaming giant NetEase in recent years, which also include No More Heroes developer, Grasshopper manufacturer, and Quantic Dream and Paris-based studio behind Re- Heavy Rain, Detroit Become Human, and Beyond. On two souls yakuza creator uh toshihiro nagoshi joined the company last year and found nagoshi studio who wholly uh, a wholly owned subsidiary of NetEase games focused on high-end titles primarily for consoles so you guys know the story i don't want to make 2023 a, a, a broken record the way 2022 was big chinese tech company probably with some unsavory ties to the ccp and in, investing heavily in western game studios i don't love it uh, it's going to keep happening. This is just the first one of 2023 we're talking about. So I don't, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because we just keep talking about it. I, I do want to you know always be mindful of it because I, I you know shame on most of these gaming outlets that just act like this isn't a thing that matters at any at all in any capacity because it, it absolutely does. But I, I don't know. I, what more do you what more do you want from a world that's like completely complacent with just fucking whatever 850 billion dollar military budget for the U.S. in 2023. Um, sorry, you can't have a touch of student debt relief because people think think that will. I don't know. We we live in a world where people feel no no empathy for anyone. So I I guess why even bother going down that rabbit hole? So we will just steer clear of that conversation because I'm tired of it. I'm sure you're tired of it. And uh, what good would 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 this podcast be to you uh, if you just had to hear me talk about uh, things things you're tired of hearing? So. I have a different light in which I think we can talk about this. And it's that, you know, Skybox is is a, is a team name I've heard a couple of times. I'm not familiar with the original titles. I actually did not know that they worked on Project Spark, which you may remember was that Xbox One. It wasn't a launch title, but it was like a launch window game. I think it came out like a year after the Xbox One came out. It was a very like ambitious, kind of reminded me of that EA game Spore a little bit. Where it's just like, yeah, you're gonna use your connect, you're gonna build these awesome worlds, but it kind of was a little bit shallow and ended up not not coming to fruition, like the final product in the ways I think people had hoped, and maybe maybe the market just wasn't there, and also Xbox wasn't really 
in the best light when this game came out and it was just a little experimental. It, it didn't end up sticking. That's that's unfortunate. I thought Project Spark was an interesting idea, but I just I never really got into it. I, I downloaded it, played 10 seconds, and never went back. But um, anyway, I didn't realize they'd been working with Microsoft this long. I, I knew that they had done support work on, on Halo and Minecraft and things like that, but uh, I, I don't know much about this team, to be quite honest. I always just viewed it kind of as a reliable support studio that, that Xbox can use. And here's the thing is, obviously, with them now going to NetEase, or not obviously, but it is very, very likely now with them going to NetEase that they are off the table for Microsoft. This will no longer be an accessible um, support team. And what it makes me think of about is how in this world where it seems like everyone is is gobbling up support teams and everyone is relying on support teams, it's kind of surprising that considering all the many, many teams Xbox owns, they don't really own support teams. That's that's kind of an odd one. And we know they, they try to do a lot of cross-pollinization with, with their pre-existing teams where it's like, oh, yeah, the guys that made the amazing water effects for Forza Playground Games, oh, yeah, they shared that water tech. With C- or see if these or was it turn 10 who did the amazing water tech in the Forza games and then shared that with with rare over in the UK and we're like here use this for your water and see if these you know that kind of famous story from back in the day or even with Bethesda which is now part of the Xbox family family uh, where they talk about how you know id will share things with uh, machine games and in arcane and they'll kind of share assets and it's like oh yeah this guy that did monster uh, artwork on doom actually help design this armor piece in Elder Scrolls and vice versa and all this crazy shit where they're cross-pollinating and sharing ideas and talent. And this is kind of the way the games industry is headed and more and more and more. And it's just kind of how games are developed in today's world where it takes a billion years, a billion men and a billion dollars to make a fucking fucking, you know, whatever sequel to a Far Cry game. Something as, as just, as a Far Cry spinoff or sequel, it's just game development is so costly, so time consuming, so such a big undertaking that the need for support teams is is greater than ever before. These are really the unsung heroes of the games industry of the, of game development, if you will. And so I just think it's kind of crazy that you know Xbox has a slew of of support teams they've worked with in the past and that they've relied on in the past, and these guys are continuously being gobbled up here and there. And sure. You know, they, they can take some of the teams they own and maybe make support teams out of them. They have a lot of smaller teams that you don't have a lot to speak for or show for yet since they've been acquired by Xbox. And it is possible that you could put two of your teams together and make something happen. But I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't really say that Xbox necessarily owns a team I would identify as a support team or a team that is really ideal for support work. And that brings me back to the fucking the the the, the one that got away really for Xbox, which is the story from last year where Embracer for $300 million got three Western teams from Square Enix. They got uh, Square Enix Montreal, IDOS Montreal, and Crystal Dynamics. I keep forgetting Square Enix Montreal because then they renamed them and shut them down. But um, man, I just keep thinking about it. $300 million was such a fucking good deal. Such a good deal. And the crazy thing is they shut down one of those three studios. And then what are the other two doing? They're doing support work for Xbox, dude. Uh, Idos Montreal is working on Fable with Playground Games. Uh, Crystal Dynamics is working on Perfect Dark with the initiative. So I don't know, man. It seems like that's a buy that should have been Xbox. (laughs) And I'm not saying you should have turned the guys behind these really excellent Tomb Raider games and the recently released Guardians of the Galaxy game that was pretty good. I'm not saying you should take those developers and be like, all right, you guys are support devs now, but... Man, if like if that's how you're going to use them or if that's something you think that they're going to be useful for, it's like, I don't know why you didn't buy those guys. I don't know why you're not looking to do more of that. 
And I don't, I don't know. This is just kind of a thing that's on my mind with this story is Xbox really needs that support team. I think even um, PlayStation, a, what was it, like two years ago now? They bought Bluepoint, which is a support studio. They do remakes and they do support work. Famously, as, as Bluepoint pertains to Xbox, well before they were owned by PlayStation, in the early Xbox One days, they were the guys that did the day one port of Titanfall, the Xbox One game Titanfall, for the Xbox 360. A lot of people don't remember that, but Titanfall launched on Xbox 360 as well, and it was done by Bluepoint. And I never played it, but as the story goes, apparently that was a very competent port. It was a surprisingly well-put-together, great-performing, well-done port of this launch type launch window xbox one exclusive you know that turned a lot of heads it was like the only thing xbox one really had going for it early in its life cycle and uh you know bluepoint did a great job bringing it to xbox 360 and it's just there's all these great support devs out there and xbox doesn't have one and uh i don't know that's i feel like that's something maybe phil needs to you know I, they talk about how they're like well we're still shopping even after activision we're not done shopping Kind of makes you wonder if they, if they if they're in between a rock and a hard place because be, because of the scrutiny they're in with this Activision deal where they can't really be you know they got to kind of watch themselves in order to get this deal through. I wonder if if it's like a bad look for them to try and buy any other developers right now. If like they're kind of on hold with purchasing with mergers and acquisitions because they're trying to get this Activision thing through the door and it and it would muddy up the legal waters of the Activision deal if they go and buy other teams while they're trying to fight for their uh their their uh why it is reasonable and acceptable for them to purchase Activision Blizzard. So I, I don't know if maybe that kind of puts them in the rock and hard place because now this Activision Blizzard deal is gonna take so long to get over the finish line that by the time they're finally done with that all the good support teams might have already been purchased up because right now we're in this mass purchasing spree where all these Chinese tech companies and the rest of the games industry are just trying to buy up all the fucking talent until there's basically no more independence left in games industry. So I, I don't know. I feel like this kind of puts Xbox in a bit of a hard spot where especially dude, especially that one with Embracer getting those Square Enix teams, dude. Crystal Dynamics and IDOS Montreal. I'm not, you know, I'm not like one of those people that's like, here's my shopping wish, wish list. I'm not one of these Xbox fans that's like out there like hoping and praying that Microsoft acquires more and more of the games industry. And like, here's all the teams I hope they buy so other players can't enjoy their games. Like, that's that's weird. But man, if Square Enix is going to be selling those devs, they made, dude, they just made way more sense on Xbox. Can you imagine? Like, I, I every time I think about that deal, it just, it still blows my mind because I, I think about um, in the summer of 2015 when Phil Spencer was at E3 announcing the um, Rise of the, Rise of the Tomb Raider um, being a timed exclusive, or at the time we didn't know it was timed, uh, an exclusive for Xbox One, as you guys might remember, that infamous story that Xbox took so much unnecessary heat for because PlayStation, PlayStation does it all the time, no one cares. But uh, I remember shortly after that announcement, because there was so much negative feedback, there was so much kickback from that, that announcement that Xbox was going to make the second Tomb Raider game exclusive to Xbox, I remember Phil Spencer talking about it. He goes, well, when I, you know, this is early in Phil Spencer's tenure as the head of Xbox. And he was talking about, you know, when I look at the portfolio, this is almost verbatim what he said. He was like, when I look at the portfolio and I see the games that we're looking for and the games that we, we kind of need to have and what the other guys have on their platform, I think there's a lot of room for that third-person action-adventure game. And, of course, at the time, you know, this is like the height of, like, the Uncharted series. He's saying basically, like, yo, Xbox is looking at PlayStation. We see Uncharted. We're saying we need one of those. And so they struck a deal with Square Enix to get 
Rise of the Tomb Raider on Xbox. And as I still contend to this day and say regularly on this podcast, Rise of the Tomb Raider was the best Tomb Raider ever. Like, that, that was such a good game. Dude, you already had that pre-established relationship with Crystal Dynamics, with Square Enix, with with Tomb Raider. It's like you, you still need that kind of thing. You really don't have that Uncharted-like experience on your platform, not exclusively. Bro, you should have... Why didn't you buy Crystal Dynamics? I, I just... I still want to know the story. How did that go to Embracer? How did that go? Because you really would have thought that Square Enix would have maybe shopped around to some of the more traditional partners first. You'd think maybe they went to Sony, and Sony was like, ha, fuck no, we don't need that. You know, if we want Square Enix, we want your JRPG games. We don't want your B-tier Uncharted games. You know, whatever. No thanks. You know, maybe don't go to Nintendo. I don't know. Square Enix has a great relationship with Nintendo, but why Nintendo would not buy those. That's that's not Nintendo. They wouldn't do that. But you think they would consider Xbox at least. But I don't know. Maybe Xbox wasn't interested. Um, maybe maybe Embracer presented themselves to Square Enix first. But we, we, we I'm pretty sure we know the story goes that Square Enix started trying to present it to other interested buyers. So I don't know, man. That one still just completely wrinkles my brain and gets me so worked up because it's just such a perfect fit. It's like it's like when you're playing. It, this is the best analogy I can I can give, and then I'll leave it at that. But uh, it's like when you're playing. Um, <laughs> it's like when you're playing Tetris, and uh, you got like the perfect little space. Like you're about to have a perfect fucking even line, and you got like a square block coming down. And you're like, all I gotta do, or you got like the the fucking the long line block, whatever you call that one. The, just the one the one that looks like a long line. And it's just coming down. You're like, all I got to do is fit this thing in the empty space. It's coming. Slowly coming. Slowly coming. And then you accidentally slip up and fuck up. And you accidentally like tilt the piece or move it a little bit to the left or right. And it fucks up the entire, the entire fucking... What do you even call that in, in Tetris? Like your your map, your puzzle, your, your screen. Where it's just like everything was falling into place beautifully. And you accidentally fucked up in the last second and tilted it. And now the whole thing's ruined. And that's kind of how I think about this deal, where it's just like <laughs> Xbox needs support teams. They're working with Crystal Dynamics already. They have a great relationship and history with Tomb Raider. The, it, Tomb Raider fits perfectly into their portfolio. These Western teams fit perfectly into the kinds of games Xbox is all about. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And it goes to Embracer. I, I, I just, whatever. I don't know. The only thing I can think of is it has something to do with the Activision deal, where they, they're in the middle of that purchasing process, so they really couldn't be announcing and going after more mergers and acquisitions. They had to finish one before they could jump onto the other. That's the only thing I can think of, but we got to move on because that one just, it's, it just gets me every time. All right, our final story of the week before we get into the wrap-up. Uh, VGC reports, and this this is Ubisoft, not starting off the year on a great foot, but Ubisoft's got a little bit of some shit going on. Ubisoft has canceled three unannounced games and delayed its long-in-development pirate adventure game Skull and Bones yet again. Let's stop, stop there for a second. This is just a meme at this point. The Skull and Bones thing is just a meme at this point. Announced the, announcing the news this past Wednesday, the company said that they are facing major challenges as the industry continues to shift towards mega brands as long-lasting titles uh, as... Uh, that they can, sorry, mega brands and long-lasting titles that can reach that can reach players across the globe, across platforms and business models. Ubisoft has said that they spent the last four years attempting to adapt its biggest brands, Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, Ghost Recon, Rainbow Six, into the uh, to converge with these trends. Uh, however, quote the games from this invest investment phase have yet to be released, while our recent launches have not performed as well as we expected. The company claimed that quote the additional time that has already has already paid off and brought impressive improvements 
improvements to the quality of their games, which has been confirmed by recent play tests, but they expect that players will be uh, positively surprised by the evolution of these titles that have been delayed. In addition to Skull and Bones being delayed <laughs> during its 2023 to 2024 fiscal year, Ubisoft has said that it's planning to release Assassin's Creed. And, 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 side note, 2023 to 2024 fiscal year, I don't know Ubisoft's fiscal year time frame, but that doesn't mean the game will release in 2024. That means the game will release in their fiscal year 2024, which likely begins probably in late spring or early summer or something like that. So all that really means is Skull and Bones is probably being delayed to like somewhere between the May and September time frame, not next year. So so don't 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 laugh too hard. But um, in addition to that, Ubisoft said that it's planned to release Assassin's Creed Mirage, Avatar, Frontiers of Pandora, and, quote, yet another yet-to-be-announced premium game, including a large one, as well as a promising free-to-play title for some of their biggest brands uh, in 2023 to 2024 fiscal year. So we still have some big Ubisoft titles coming on the near horizon. Uh, Avatar, Frontiers of Pandora, I'm really looking forward to that game, if I'm being completely honest. So, yeah, it's not all bad. It's not all gloom and doom. But upcoming free-to-play titles from the publisher include PC and console games, The Division, Heartland, The Division Resurgence, and Assassin's Creed Codename Jade. Last July, Ubisoft announced that they had canceled a so-called a, a Ghost Recon Frontline Splinter Cell VR title uh, and two other unannounced games, and said, quote, We are clearly disappointed by our recent performance. This is CEO Yves Gilmont, and he says, We are facing con- contrasted markets, dynamics, and the industry continues to shift towards mega brands and everlasting live games, and the context of worsening economic conditions is affecting consumer spending as well. Despite excellent ratings and players' reception, as well as ambitious marketing plans, we were surprised to see that Mario and Rabbids' spark of hope had underperformed in its final weeks of 2022 and early January. Just Dance 2023 also underperformed. Therefore, with the approval of the board of directors, we are taking additional important strategic and operational decisions today. It is key to continue adapting our organization to further and strengthen our execution and to ensure that we both deliver amazing games to players as well as great value in creation. So that is uh, a, that, that's pretty like back foot talk from Yves Gilmont. And it, it's sad. Listen, I like Yves Gilmont. He's, he's one of the few like big, big wigs in gaming that I, I kind of have a little bit of a soft spot for because I feel like he's a genuine guy and I feel like he's a well-intended guy. I, 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 I think I like Yves Gilmont. So like, I, I feel bad that this is the situation, but Ubisoft just seems like such a fucking shit show because the story of t- for in 2022 for this publisher is the same story that it looks like we're kicking off 2023 with, which is just big delays for a lot of projects, big cancellations for games that were announced haphazardly or were haven't even been announced yet, just kind of throwing things at the wall, seeing what sticks, frantically trying to figure out how to adapt their games in today's market. And it's kind of befuddling to me because I don't personally really understand how Ubisoft got to this point because when you go back 10 years ago, and you look at Ubisoft; they were the ones revolutionizing the industry. They, uh, they were, they were pioneering. Basically, when you look at open world games today, which are ninety nine percent of fucking games today, everything is really heavily inspired by what Far Cry did, what Ubisoft did with Far Cry in two thousand twelve with Far Cry three, and Assassin's Creed. No doubt, has had heavy, heavy influence on the industry. And I don't know, Ubisoft is generally a pretty like. B, B plus kind of publisher where they put out really consistently solid products, even though historically they haven't really been my favorite publisher just because a lot of my favorite games haven't really come from them. That's completely subjective. And aside from the point, Ubisoft, I think overall is a fairly 
strong publisher that puts out pretty good games and has a decent history of making a lot of unique original IP and 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 spearheading a lot in a lot of ways. So, you know, you fast forward back to today, it's kind of sad to see Ubisoft be on their on their back foot a little bit. Skull and Bones, this game that should have just been canceled and done with so long ago, and they just keep dragging this dead weight year after year into the next year, into the next year. We promise this game's coming. We promise you're going to be surprised. It's actually pretty good. It's not, you know, stop, stop laughing. It's going to be good, guys. Please stop laughing. Stop laughing. And that, that's kind of like the story with Skull and Bones at this point. It's embarrassing. And God, they had that um, X Defiant, that like Call of Duty competitor, a Tom Clancy style online free to play multiplayer game that was like a Call of Duty killer which they still do regular, like, behind-the-scenes beta tests. I have played that game on multiple occasions. I probably played five hours of X Defiant. It's good. It, like, it's a stupid name, but that's a good game. Like, Kronky and I have played that together on multiple weekends during multiple beta tests, and, like, I think this game has a pretty decent shot of being fairly popular if they give it a not stupid name and, and and they get it out the door finally and every time i've played it i've been like the game feels ready to go where that why won't they put this game out they, they announced it like two or three years ago uh they've been play testing it for like a year and a half it's like dude what are we doing get this they don't even mention that game ever whenever they talk about it they always talk about all these other games all these first person or not first person all these first party um sorry not not first party all these single player games like your next far cry your next assassin's creed but they they just never mention x defiant and they they keep canceling all these unannounced games and that splinter cell vr game which just sounded like such a natural fit for splinter cell and then they had to scrap and kind of restart with the splinter cell reboot that they announced already and it's just it's bad news over at ubisoft and i don't mean to be all doom and gloom because i mean i like listen assuming that everything hits target with Assassin's Creed Mirage and with Avatar Frontiers of Pandora. I think 2023 has some pretty decent, big Ubisoft titles for us to look forward to. Like, I'm excited for some of these games. But it's just crazy to see that they, they've been in a dry spell. They haven't been releasing nearly as many games. They're not confident that the games that they're currently developing or releasing are really meeting the players where they're at, meeting the market where it's at currently. And... It just seems like a lot of the games that they are releasing are kind of just more of this, more of a similar thing. But then they also acknowledge that they need to grow and change. But I, I don't know. You could argue they've kind of done that because the newer Assassin's Creed games are definitely a pretty popular evolution of that formula. So it's, I just don't know what to think of of Ubisoft. They are all over the place, and they need to have a stronger 2023 in order to kind of bring them out of that this dark funk that they're in right now and and bring them back to uh, a thriving, well-respected, consistently performing big publisher because otherwise I fear for a future where we don't have Ubisoft because even though outside of like Far Cry, Ubisoft's really not a publisher that does a whole lot for me, I, I think the world is a better place with a thriving and strong and competitive independent Ubisoft as opposed to just like, oh yeah, the things kind of went bad and then they fire sailed all their IP and went away and now Tencent is making fucking Assassin's Creed where you're supposed to fucking go to China and praise the goddamn CCP every day or some shit like that. I don't know, man. It just uh it just it just makes me sad and I and I really hope that Ubisoft is able to turn it around in 2023. Starting off the year with some really bad news, but hoping that you know that's that's the last of the bad stuff and that we can kind of use the 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 momentum of being early on in the year and getting the bad news out of the way to kind of build into a much stronger uh stronger year for the for the for the publisher uh last story of the of the week you guys this is just a wrap up um it's just 
games coming and going from Game Pass. So uh, Microsoft has dated the next three titles coming to Game Pass, as well as announced a slew of games that are leaving the service. So uh, we already knew about a lot of these, but here are some dates. Persona 3 Portable is, and Persona 4 Golden are coming to Game Pass on cloud, console, and PC on January 19th. So that is a week from the day this podcast goes live. Monster Hunter Rise will then come on January 20th, a day later, so next Friday. And then on the 31st of January, Inkulinati will come to Cloud and Console. And then Mortal Shell Enhanced Edition and Stranded Deep and Velheim Mistlands Biome Update will, uh, will were all already added. So that is your comprehensive list of January editions. Obviously, the Persona titles and Monster Hunter are the big ones there. No doubt. Um, and then the following titles are all leaving Game Pass on January 15th. So make sure you play them or buy them while they're still on sale before they're gone. And if this is, this list hurts a little bit. It's a pretty good one. Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc will be leaving Cloud Console and PC. Uh, I've never played a Danganronpa game, but I hear good things about them. Nobody Saves the World will be leaving Cloud Console and PC on January 15th. That is my one of my one of my all-time favorite games of 2022 second favorite game of, of last year as i as i ranked it paparazzi will be leaving cloud console and pc on january 15th as well and they're all january 15th i don't know why i keep repeating that also the anacrusis will be leaving game preview and game pass cloud console and pc that day i played a lot of that when it first came out it's pretty it's pretty decent it's it's definitely a left a left for dead spiritual successor but with like mid-century modern 1970s space zombie uh space aliens and it's cool, but the game's rough around the edges. I wonder if... Uh, I'm sure they've improved it quite a bit since then, but it's a, it's, a, it's a decent game. Windjammers 2 is leaving on that day. And then finally, this is the one I don't fucking get. We Happy Few is leaving Game Pass on January 15th. So this one I really don't understand because this is a Xbox-owned property now or Xbox owns Compulsion Games, the developer of We Happy Few. I, I, I'm guessing Microsoft did not acquire the, I'm guessing Xbox did not acquire the um, license for We Happy Few when they purchased Compulsion Games. Uh, Compulsion must have not owned the IP because that game was originally uh, published by Gearbox Publishing. And so We Happy Few, the IP, the publishing rights must still reside or it, it could be they could be split i'm saying this as if one one follows the other but it could be that gearbox publishing owns the ip and the publishing rights or they just own the publishing rights but it seems the fact that it's leaving game pass that they at least own the publishing rights because as you know anything that is owned by xbox first party content does not leave game pass that is a permanent part of the game pass subscription service first party xbox funded owned property uh titles games so for We Happy Few to be leaving, that means either Gearbox owns the IP or owns the property uh, or property. I keep saying property. I'm thinking about home buying. Can't you tell? Uh, owns the the uh, license, the video game uh, publishing license. So that is a, a curious one. It's kind of weird to see a game that is so now intricately tied as being an Xbox pseudo first party title leave Game Pass. It's such a weird one, but nonetheless, it's leaving. So that's it for all of our news this week, you guys. And with that said, I think it's time we start to wrap up the podcast with our final two segments, starting with the important enough news, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant our own discussion, of which we have a couple, five quick ones, so let's just uh, get through them. 
First one, Microsoft has said that they are in the process of updating Xbox consoles to make the first carbon-aware gaming platform. The company has begun rolling out a series of new energy-saving features, testing on Xbox Insider Program. Following the new system update, Xbox will attempt to schedule console updates at times where larger proportions of electricity is coming from lower-carbon sources on the electric grid. This basically decreases fossil fuel dependency and CO2 emissions and could potentially save you money while using your Xbox, said Microsoft. Next up, Windows Central reports that SFG Games, who have adapted titles like Elden Ring, Resident Evil, Dark Souls, for tabletops, are working with Microsoft and the Coalition on a shiny new Gears of War card game set to launch sometime this year. No details were available as to when it will come out this year or what exactly the card game will be, but since the game is coming out this year, expect more details in the coming months. Next up, VGC notes that a new MechWarrior game is currently in development, according to the president of the studio behind MechWarrior 5. In an interview with the, on the podcast No Guts, No Galaxy, Piranha Games president Russ Bullock revealed that the studio is working on a new standalone title in the series. Next up, VGC reports that World War Z Aftermath will be released for Xbox Series S and X on January 24th. Saber Interactive has announced the Xbox One players will, who already have the latest edition of the co-op zombie shooter will be offered a free upgrade to the new-gen version, which runs at 4K 60fps. The new title will also be released alongside the, a new mode that is exclusive to the Series X and S and PC version called Horde Mode XL, which follows the same rules as the game's standard Horde Mode with the devilish twist scattered among normal waves of zombies will be XL waves bursting with over a thousand hungry zombies. That sounds insanely difficult. Uh, and lastly, VGC reports that reshoots for the long in development Borderlands live action film have been taken over by Deadpool director, Tim Miller deadline reports that the original director, Ellie Roth was handed over the reins um, of the project in the final weeks of shooting as he departs for a new project deadline reports that uh, the handing over the production was amicable and that this follows test screening where the film, uh, which took place last year. The film, for, based on the popular Gearbox shooter franchise, was scheduled to release in 2022, but here there's currently no word on when it will actually come out. And guys, that is it for all of our news this week. And now we reach the final segment of the podcast, which is my favorite. It is the comments, the shoutouts. You go over to YouTube.com. You go to the Xbox on podcast, youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode of the podcast and hey, leave a subscription. Hit the subscribe button while you're there. We're at 980 subscribers right now. We're just 20 subscribers away from hitting a thousand. I would appreciate your support. But we got seven entries this week. You can go over there and say anything nice. You can say anything mean you want. It doesn't matter. I'll read your comment. Just leave me a comment. Starting off this week, we got a first time in a long time. EA's king. I know it's AE's king, but I always say EA's king. Who says, Ayo, Jesse, guess what? I just made $50 in Bitcoin today. EA's King, it's good to hear from you. It's good to see you. Hope you're doing well. Good for you. Enjoy your 50, 50 bit, bit bucks. Sam Torres writes in next and says, Crap, I forgot to tell you how great you and Hunter did on your top five show a couple weeks back. You were entertaining full runtime for my entire trip to our de deceased moon. Never got lonely. Happy new beard. Thank you, Sam Torres. I appreciate the kind words and happy new beard to you as well. Mr. Maug writes in and says, I'm excited for you to enjoy these. I'm excited that you enjoyed the Salsa Verde chicken burrito. This is from Taco Bell. We talked about last week on the show, new menu item. I wasn't expecting to taste like uh, the packets of Salsa Verde they used to have, maybe because the ones in the packets were actually called Salsa Verde instead of instead of Salsa Verde. Oh, that. Oh, oh, oh. the packets were called Verde Salsa instead of Salsa Verde. Interesting catch. I didn't. I never noticed that. I wonder if that's because the packets technically weren't salsa verde. They were just uh, some green sauce that was inspired by it, so they had to rename it. I don't know. Also, that was funny how you just straight up called Hunter in the middle of the recording, unless you were secretly Hunter himself. No, 
I'm not. Mr. Maug, don't start this. We already have enough rumors going around that I'm cronky. We don't need this. Listen, I can only have so many split personalities, and right now that is subject to just the regular Xbox on host you get and the guy that loves caribou coffee. That's all there is to me. What you see is what you get. Next up, Clanky writes in. Uh, thank you, for Mr. Maug, for writing in. Uh, Clanky writes in next and says, Hi, Jesse. Happy New Year. All right. So I tried the Salsa Verde chicken burrito from Taco Bell, and it really didn't do anything for me. I felt like it was too salty, and it just left me a lot. It left a lot to be desired. I agree. The beefy male burrito on the value menu is is the way better way to go when opting for value uh, as far as Taco Bell menu is concerned. But quick rant, who do these fast food restaurants think they are with their prices? In Ohio, it is almost $5 for a cheesy gordita crunch alone. And at McDonald's, it's about the same price for two McDoubles. I hate the fact that we live in a world where we where an order at McDonald's or Taco Bell can easily turn into a $12 to $15 visit, but I digress. I really hope that the rumors about this Xbox showcase are true. They are. And I'm eager to hear the release dates for Starfield and Redfall. You'll hear not. I wonder if we will get release dates. I don't know that we will. Huh. Hopefully we do. I'm hopeful that Xbox was able to space these bigger first-party releases out so I don't have to choose between playing one first-party over another. As a new dad, I've only got so much time to kill. That I've only got so much time to game. Uh, that's a great point, dude. That's actually a really good point because... Uh, there's already enough games that are going to be competing for our time. We don't need Xbox doing it with the first-party content. That's why I'm kind of hoping Forza isn't early 2023 because it'd be kind of weird for them to go up against all these other first-party Game Pass titles. But uh, lastly, you say, I heard that I heard the news. Sorry, have you heard the news about the PS5 design flaw where the cooling system leaks if you have the console standing vertically for an extended period of time? I'm not trying to have a console war discussion, but I wonder how that could impact the sales if the issue becomes more prevalent in the future. Who knows? Maybe it was just a clickbait article and the numbers are few and far between. So I haven't really heard anything about that PlayStation 5 thing, but I do believe there have been, I'm sure, I'm sure there have been a couple reports where it's happened once or twice. The thing is, I know you're not trying to start any console war thing. I don't think you are, and I appreciate you writing in uh, amicably about it. Um, the thing is, I, I do think these these situations are normally exacerbated. It is a lot of like this clickbaity, like, oh, man, PlayStation had something shitty happen. This will be great to fuel Xbox support and, and vice versa. Xbox has something bad happen. Great. The PlayStation fanboys will click on it like crazy, whatever. But I don't know. We're, I mean, think about like any hardware, any new hardware that releases generally has some. You, you have your defective copies. You have your small uh, issues where like, oh, this run in production had this issue, but we nipped in the bud by the second run. And I, I don't think not to say that you alluded to this because you, you didn't. So I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I don't really think we'll ever see another <laughs> another red ring of death type scenario again. I, that would be too catastrophic. And I, I think PlayStation would be too careful to ever let something like that happen. But yeah, sure. It, it can happen, and it probably is true that there are a couple PS5s on the wild that had some issue related to this, and that's how the story got out. But um, I doubt that this is prevalent. And and the other thing, the only thing I will say that I do know about PlayStation is that Sony has been over these past few years, as the supply chain issues have just not really cleared up. And I know this because I work in an industry that's constantly fucked over by the supply chain. And I deal with it and talk about it every fucking day at work. Sony has actually gotten really creative with um trying to find alternative parts and ways of basically building the same ps5 using different parts and so a store that's kind of gone under the radar a bit but has been happening consistently with playstation over the past year or two is that 
they keep kind of redoing PS5. Like, obviously, it's the same console. You get a day one PS5 versus a PS5 from right now. They're going to run basically almost exactly the same neck and neck. I'm not saying, like, oh, this PlayStation 5 has better graphics or this one's way faster. No. But they keep changing parts out and, and, and refining the manufacturing process to try and keep costs down and, and, and combat this uh, <clears throat> supply chain issue and, and inflation issue that they're, ha- they're up against. And so... It wouldn't totally surprise me if maybe there was some iteration or production run where there were a couple fucked up PS5s and this happened, but I would be shocked to find out that this is like a consistent thing that's been happening for a long time and a lot of people are experiencing it's going to have drastic ramifications. I don't think there's any chance that that's what we're seeing here. We would know by now, you know, if that were really the case, and so I I, I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, I mean, I think if something like this did happen, it was catastrophic enough, I do think it could impact sales. Um mostly I don't the thing is it's kind of really hard to piss off consumers with brands these days because people are so enslaved to their brands so I don't think something like that would really hurt sales of PlayStation in the sense that people would get mad and maybe go buy a PC or an Xbox I think it would hurt PlayStation because if they had something big like that they had like a red ring of death kind of scenario on their hands in today's market it would fuck things up because they would have to basically f- stop their whole supply chain, fix the problem, use new manufactured consoles to replace broken consoles, and it would gunk up their supply chain and make it super hard for people to get PS5s, which we're just now starting to see people be able to kind of normally readily get their hands on a PS5. So I, I think that would be the bigger issue and that it would kind of drive people to be like, I'm so impatient, I'm just going to buy this Xbox Series S I see laying on the Target store shelf because I can't get a PS5, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. So I think in that way, there could be some kind of like imbalance or change in terms of support for one console or another. But I, th- I think at this point, both Xbox and PlayStation are so entrenched, they're so established as brands that there's not a whole lot that can sway one per- people one way or another. Like uh, anecdotal uh, evidence, like, I know so many people who bought a PS5, but their sentiment leading up to their purchase of a PS5 was like, so Jesse, you're an Xbox guy, right? I'm like, yeah, I play a little of everything, but yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty entrenched in Xbox. What's up? What about, dude, Game Pass seems pretty cool. What about this Game Pass? Yeah, Game Pass is great, man. It's, it's it, it helps turn me on to so many new games, saves me a lot of money. It's a great way to enjoy gaming. Um cool 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 and like there's that xbox that's like cheaper should i get the more expensive one because i want to have like the cool powerful one dude the xbox series s is a great power uh great console if you're like looking to get your hand your, your foot in the door with xbox honestly unless you're like head over heels like gotta have the highest performance the best graphics i'd recommend the 300 dollars box i think it's a better deal oh cool 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 what about that new halo game what about that new you know what about that new forza what about this what about that Dude, the games on Xbox are great. Halo, Halo's lacking a little bit in support, but the game is super fun. The campaign's excellent. The multiplayer feels great. It's a good time. And that's kind of like a conversation I've had so many times anecdotally with people. And the result is, after that conversation, they buy a PS5. Why? Because people are just enslaved to their fucking brands. I think that's what happens. And, and that's not to say, like, I, like we're not all susceptible to it. I think I'm susceptible to it to an extent. You know, my my whole the whole reason I'm here doing this podcast today is because in 2013, when when PS4 and Xbox One were announced, I was uh I was in like the height of or kind of yeah kind of like the 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 height of my 
I'm a teenager. I'm kind of depressed. I'm kind of emo. I don't really know that I care about gaming anymore. Maybe I'm growing out of video games. Maybe I need to leave video games behind. I don't know. Maybe I'll pick up a PS4. I love Xbox 360, but fuck Xbox. Maybe I'll pick up a PS4 because it's popular. It's what everyone's on and whatever. And thankfully, you know, one of the reasons I love Xbox One so much, I have just so much personal connection and relationship and love for that console is because... Xbox One came out right around the time that, like, my my five-year teenage just black abyss emo depression years kind of came to a close. It just, it just worked out that way. It was just a timing thing where around the time the new consoles were coming out was around the time I started to finally feel like a normal functioning member of society and not just a brooding teenager anymore. And um, so, you know, right as I was going into college and Xbox One was coming out, I was like, you know what? everyone says the PS4 is so great. And I know it's like Xbox is dumb now and we're not supposed to like it, but like, I don't know, man, I just love Xbox so much. I had so much fun with my 360. I got all these achievements. I'm so integrated in that platform. I'm just going to get the Xbox one. And I'm so glad I did because, you know, I look back today and it's like, dude, I'm, I'm more in love with Xbox than ever before. I just, I, I loved Xbox one so much. It's I've, I've only grown to appreciate Xbox's platform more and more. And that's, that's why I'm here to this day doing this podcast is because Xbox one was just such a great generation for me. But I use that anecdote to say, I, I, I don't think sometimes when a brand is so established that you can really do enough good or bad to push people away. It's just, it's just really fucking hard. Like think about iPhone, like, Dude, you can you could go up to any iPhone user and be like, and just hold up a fucking like picture and be like, see this number? Like, what what is that? What is that number? Two hundred thirteen. What is that number? Why are you showing me two hundred thirteen? That's how much it costs Apple to to make that fifteen hundred fucking dollar iPhone that you're using right now. Okay, still gonna buy every iPhone because I love iPhone. That's that's what people do. It's just people are so integrated into their brand. Dude, one more one more example, just because I'm I'm thinking of all the examples of hypocrisy where people just stick with their brand just because it's their brand is um. Dude, right now, Disney, I'm being one of these people where Disney the past couple of years has pissed off so – Disney has alienated so much of its fan base in every vertical, whether it's movies, TV, theme parks, you fucking name it, dude. Disney has pissed off absolutely everyone. They have consistently over the past few years raised the prices in their theme parks to the high heavens – uh, canceled annual passes, made going to the parks a fucking chore, gotten rid of services and features that people love, uh, made food quality worse, made merch worse. They just fucked up everything. Thank God Disney is kind of on the up and up with the with the whole CEO swap they just went through. But I'll use this anecdote to prove that, like, dude, Disney is the shittiest it's ever been in my lifetime right now. And uh, I go to these parks all the time, and I'll tell you what, they are just as busy as ever before. People are gladly paying like fucking $5 for a bottle of water and, and $13 for a fucking half portion of, of a rice bowl that they used to pay $10 for and get double the size. Like it's just Disney is out of control right now. Just how price gougy it is and how I'm I, I, like people, you know, people historically have always thought uh, theme parks are so expensive. Disney's so expensive. It's like, dude, you don't even know what you're fucking talking about. You're talking about $10 nachos back in 2007 being over overpriced. Like we're way, we're way past that shit, man. We're in the, we're in the era of $17 nachos. Cal- calm yourself, man. I'm talking about like a, a certain Disney hotels that used to be like $300 a night are now like $1,800 a night, like that kind of price gouging. And you would think that it would get to a point where these fucking Disney diehards would just be like, that's it. I've had enough. I'm not supporting this brand anymore. But no, they keep coming back. 
I'm in those parks almost every weekend. They're fucking balls to the walls packed, man. So I don't know. Just a, a long, long tirade with multiple little anecdotal evidences. But I, I just I just don't see a world where the PlayStation market would give up on PlayStation because they, they fucked up like that. I think the only way you'd really see that happen would be if it's like, I just can't get a PlayStation, so I'm going to buy an Xbox. But as long as there is a PlayStation to buy, I think that brand is so established and people are so integrated with it at this point that they're just going to buy it. That's why even though the Xbox Series X is a great platform, Xbox Series S is such a great entry-level point. Game Pass is such an amazing platform. All these acquisitions Xbox has done has allowed them to buttress their first party and, and just have so many more games to offer. doesn't matter. PlayStation 5 is going to clobber Xbox Series consoles in sales when all is said and done because people are just happy with where they're at. <laughs> you can make up some lost ground. You can make Xbox the best it's ever been. You can improve on Xbox, but you'll never flip the script at this point. It just is what it is. But anyway, let's move on. We got three more comments, and uh, I got I got really indulgent with that one. That's a traditional Xbox on uh, kind of just me taking a taking a simple comment and running way too far with it. So let's, let's keep it a little more brief with these last three. But Kronky writes in and says, When I asked what would be the top-selling game of the year last week, I genuinely forgot that sports games existed. It's probably it's very probable that one of them will probably be the best-selling game. Now, I think that this is this year is ripe for another Elden Ring situation to happen where we get a game that blows up way bigger than it normally would have for some undefinable reason. It's a year full of great games, but none of them are on that tier that's just huge. Starfield would be huge, but not seeing it on PS5 is going to seriously damage that game's moment in the spotlight as well as its critical reception. So who knows? Maybe Lies of P or Stalker 2 or something like that will have a stupid big will be a stupid big game that no one predicted. Kronky, I think you're I think you're onto something, but at the same time I don't quite know. I, I think Hogwarts Legacy has a huge potential to be one of those games. But I don't know. I, I like I love the developer uh, Avalanche software that's working on that game. But I'm not 100% sold that they have what it takes to make this game live up to all the dreams and expectations people have for it. So I'm a little iffy on that one. Um, I definitely don't think it would be Stalker 2. But yeah, maybe Eliza P. People love their Souls type games. And that game definitely looks like it has potential. But I don't think it could be Bloodborne big or um, Elden Ring kind of big because... It seems like a, a pretty consistent thing with those kinds of games is it has to be open world. You look at Monster Hunter World almost had a little bit of that. Zelda Breath of the Wild had that. Definitely Skyrim had that. Of course, Elden Ring had that. The through line is always open world. So I think you got to keep that in mind. Open world has to be a part of the equation. So, dude, maybe it's Redfall. I don't know. But I, I think you are right. There is something to be said about that whole, like, if the game is not on... It's not that it's an Xbox game. It's that it's not on PS5. If a game is not on PS5, all of a sudden it just it, it's it's severely limited in how how well it is allowed to do. It seems like um, not just in the obvious manner of fewer consoles to sell on if you're not on PlayStation, but just in terms of critics are a little harsher when reviewing it. Uh, people are a little less likely to give the time of the day and the respect it deserves because it's not on the platform where you got to be. So I, I don't know, man. That's a it's a good question, but I really don't think I have. I really don't think I have an, an answer to it. I'd love to see Atomic Hearts be that game because finally, for once, it would be a game I'm interested in that blows up so I could feel like I'm a part of that conversation. But I, I don't know. I really don't know what I think that game would be because this right now is really built out to be Xbox's year because Nintendo and PlayStation are a little they're a little quieter this year than Xbox is, at least, at least thus far into the year. Um, so I don't know. Duff Beer Gaming Reviews writes in and says, I don't know, why are we getting so many PlayStation-related comments? Sony is short-sighted. If they were smart like Microsoft, they'd 
uh, they'd concentrate on making game distribution service like PlayStation Plus the dominant global ecosystem. They also have publishing. Uh, they also have publishers pay them royalties and license use fees in, perpetu in perpetuity for the privilege. For the I cannot speak anymore. For the privilege of selling software in that ecosystem. After all, that's where the real money is. What's the, that's what Microsoft does with MS DOS since the 80s. Every iteration of Windows began in the 90s in various b business software ecosystems. So, your logic is sound, Duff Beer Gaming, and thank you for writing. By the way, I appreciate the write-in. Um, I think your logic is sound with uh, how it's worked for Microsoft historically, but I don't know, man, because what Microsoft is planning to do with Game Pass and and their and their move here is, is a risky one. The only reason they they do it and they can do it is because they are Microsoft and they have the financial uh, backing to 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 justify something like this. Sony cannot afford to play the game that Microsoft is playing with um, with Game Pass. It's just too costly. They're not that kind of company. You know, in the game space, sure, PlayStation is bigger than Xbox, but in the in the business world sense, Sony is minuscule compared to Microsoft, and so they just can they simply cannot afford to do what Microsoft does with Game Pass, and that leads us down the road of the whole profitability thing. Game Pass is it profitable? Yes or no? But listen, I, I won't get down that rabbit hole too much, but I simply do not believe that Sony could afford to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Game Pass and compete more aggressively. So they, they kind of have to play a more savvy and strategic game. And I think it is possible what you're saying is right and that, in hindsight, 10 years from now, we'll be like, wow, Sony was so short-sighted to not try and compete stronger and, and, and more uh, directly with Game Pass. Maybe we'll say that. But I think at this point, we're not at a point where we can really say that with confidence. I think we're at the point where Sony and Microsoft are trying two very different tracks, two very different attempts at the market, and only time will tell which one survives and which one will thrive because there is the potential that Game Pass is something that really no one else can afford to ever do. There's the potential that Game Pass implodes on itself, which I don't think is very likely. There's the potential that, at the end of the day, Sony's, Sony's attempt of content is king wins out because sony knows how to manage their studios and get good first party games out in a consistent clip while microsoft flanders and can never fucking get games out the door seemingly ever so there's a lot of factors that go into it and i think at the end of the day sony has a decent shot i mean they've consistently been a way more profitable console manufacturer for a long time publisher slash manufacturer and they still have the reins despite the, the rise and the and the the love that services like Game Pass have. So I don't know. It's one of those things where they are definitely trying to hold on to and take control of the industry and keep things the way they've been. There's no doubt about that. But that's because that's what they can afford to do. They can't afford to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Game Pass. And so they kind of have to play the game differently. If anything... The thing I like about this is it keeps the industry so interesting. That's what keeps gaming so interesting right now is that PlayStation and Xbox for the first time are playing such a drastically different game that it makes it so much more fun for us as consumers to participate in, to sit back and watch and just kind of see how the history is playing out because, you know, especially like especially like PS2 to Xbox or really the PS3 to Xbox 360, like these generations, Xbox One, PS4, they were just so, they were so samey. It was like, it was really like, pick your favorite controller and then that's kind of the one you end up with, you know, with the exception of first party games, of course. But, 
you know, Xbox One had the opportunity to be different, and then due to some some flack, they got rid of Connect, they got rid of Always Online, they got rid of Snap, they got rid of so many features and functions and ideas and visions for Xbox because they got bullied out of it. Um, but now with Game Pass kind of being the driving force for Xbox and Sony kind of playing the more traditional route, I think it's so fun because we get to see which track wins and, and if, if if the market can sustain both and, and kind of how this is going to play out. And I think it's a lot of fun to watch. So I, I'm glad that it's going out this way because at least it, it makes things interesting. And so from that perspective, it's cool. Final comment of the week comes from none other than your boy, Way of the Lao, also known as Way of the Dolphin Butthole, who says, yo, 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 Jay Izzle. Hope you're doing well. So sorry I forgot to comment last week. I greatly appreciate your kind words. I wish you and the missus a great and happy New Year's. No, don't, no apologies, Way of the Lao. Happy New Year's to you, and thank you for being here. Please give my congratulations to the Kronkster on the upcoming nuptials as well. The Salsa Verde Burrito is indeed a sight to behold. Okay, bro, I need to get something off my chest about Starfield. While it's not my usual type of game, the latest images really had me interested in it. I'm worried that everyone's going to hype it up so much that it's going to cause the game to be bad because it's going to have to live up to the hype that is just impossible to measure up to. Just think about it this way. How many games do you know or that you were hyped for that ended up living up to the hype? I could be wrong, but I had to talk about it. Take care, my man. Best wishes. And we all know that Cronky last <laughs> that, that was Cronky last week and that you made up the name Hunter for him. Thanks. Everyone thinks everyone's made up. Good. I made up. Just so you guys know, you've been listening to almost 200 episodes of an AI. I'm not even a real human, so jokes on you. Haha, <laughs> goodbye. No, good comment, Wade Lau. Actually, really good comment. Um, because I think what this what this really presents is is the um, the age old discussion of expectation setting, and it's different for everyone because. I don't know. I I have a very different relationship with this than I think a lot of people do. Um, I understand people's relationship with like, oh, this thing is so hype. Everyone's so hyped for this 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 movie, this video game, whatever, dude. And then it, and then the thing happens, and it's like, oh man, that was really underwhelming. I I consider myself really fortunate in this regard because historically, I don't have this problem. I really don't. This is something I'm incredibly grateful for is that I've just kind of naturally always been very good at managing my own personal hype. Um, I know my taste very well and I know my preferences very well. So I generally, I mean, everyone gets duped every now and then. Like it happens to absolutely everyone. There's no doubt. But I generally don't find myself in this situation of like, oh man, I got too hyped about this thing. And then I kind of sucked, man. I wish I didn't do that. But I, I think I think people need to step back and, and try to look inward and kind of figure out a little bit about what it is they look for in, in games um, when when they when they start to like get hyped over things because like I'll give an example. Let's talk about Halo Infinite for a second. You know, I could talk about Sonic, but let's 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 spare you guys and talk about a game more of you definitely enjoy, which is Halo Infinite. When Halo Infinite was being shown and we were all like super anticipating it in 2020, um, I want to be very very clear about this. Like when we saw that gameplay reveal and like I was like I, I specific, specifically remember like the first the first episode we did after that gameplay reveal in 2020 was like uh, the opening part of the show when I'm always like in today's news blah 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 blah, blah and more. I remember that week I, I specifically said that week in today's episode Halo Infinite Halo Infinite Halo Infinite and, and Halo Infinite like what more do you need like I remember saying pretty much that um, because I was so excited about it. And when, when that happened, the reason I was so excited is because I know myself, I know my tastes. I know I love Halo. 
I know I loved Halo 4 and 5. I know I think 343 is a great developer that has a great grip on the Halo franchise, and whether they're trying to recreate the magic of Halo 3 or they're trying to spearhead their own direction and do Halo 5 again, I know that I've been such a fan of these products, and I know my taste in games that I'm in for a treat. So I was just balls to the walls, genuine, no hype building. This is just me being genuinely excited. Just freaking losing my shit over Halo because I love that franchise so much, and I was so excited for this new entry. So that that is that is a, a, something you gotta be cautious about because I think it comes off often. The reason why I bring that example up is because I think on your end as a listener, you know, that can come off as like, oh man, everyone's so hype about Halo Infinite. This game's gonna be real great. And then it comes out and it had its issues shortly after launch that we all started to notice. And it's like, man, did we overhype Halo Infinite? Was this game too hyped? It's just it's a matter of like whether you are the kind of person who's going to gauge your level of interest on a product based on your knowledge of what you like and whether or not something is appealing to your senses, or if you're going to base whether or not something's going to be good based on the general cons- consensus, like the atmosphere, the climate, the conversation surrounding something. And in the world of YouTube and social media and podcasts and all this shit, I think this problem is more pervasive than ever before because, you know, if I, if dude, listen, Actually, fun thought exercise. I bet this will make my case perfectly. And I don't mean to call anyone out or be a dick, but like, bro, like, here's a perfect example. I open up Twitter right now. I try to stay away from Twitter because it's a fucking cesspool full of just god awful trash. But here's the perfect example. I'm going to go on Twitter and I'm going to scroll to the first tweet I see where someone is talking about Xbox. Uh, No developers, no publishers, no marketing. Let's just talk about, let's find a random person talking about Xbox. Okay, so here it is. So I searched, I went to Twitter, I searched Xbox, I hit search, I passed all the marketing, all the tweets from Xbox, all the tweets from Phil Spencer or gaming person, uh, um, not gaming personalities, or like um, uh, uh, video game industry, like reporters, journalists, whatever. So here's just a random person, and no offense to this person, I don't know who the hell this person is, they, uh, their name is 2D Fruity Gaming. They have 2,900 followers on Twitter. And it looks like they are pretty Xbox-centric based on their profile picture and all that. Okay? This is the first tweet I see. It says January 25th, and then it has the fire emoji. And then it shows a picture of Xbox Game Pass, and it's a bunch of Gokus with Forza and Starfield and Stalker and Redfall and the Game Pass logo. And then on the bottom, it shows PlayStation Plus, and it's a bunch of lamer-looking Dragon Ball Z characters. And it shows Final Fantasy and Spider-Man and Forspoken. So anyway, that's that's just that's just one perfect example. It's like you can't go anywhere on the internet without just constantly being bombarded with like hype, 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 hype. Oh, Xbox has an event th- this this month. It's gonna be fucking hype, bro. It's gonna be awesome. In fact, it's like what is Xbox announcing the fact that they're gonna talk about the new Minecraft game and Redfall? What does that have to do with Sony's upcoming game sucking ass or being stupid? Like what 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 is what are we doing here? But it's like, this is all you fucking see. Or it's just like these random... I see this all the time in the Xbox community. It's just these random fucking... Like, random people. It's like these random people with like 2,000, 4,000 followers. And they're just like, Xbox this year is gonna be great. Forza is gonna be a racing masterpiece. Starfield is gonna allow people to explore the stars. Redfall is gonna allow us to live out our vampire legend legendary dreams. And Minecraft is gonna be an amazing game for all ages. Hashtag Xbox, hashtag P- fucking Game Pass, hashtag power to the player, or whatever. And it's gonna be like 4,000 likes, 3,000. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? And that's that is just Twitter in a nutshell. 
And then you can go to YouTube and it's the same thing. It's just all these, like, look up Xbox and it's all these fucking thumbnails. They're like, is Xbox hype this year? Is, is Starfield game of the year quality? And it's like, my, my, my most recent YouTube video I made was just a fucking YouTube poop. The meme, the, 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 the fucking thumbnail is literally just a riff on these fucking, these, th these thumbnails you see all the time, which is like, game of the year, question mark? Like, fucking video game character with, like, big eyes, like, what? And then, like, some, some, some random fucking guys, like, PNG, making a surprised face. It's like, the whole internet is just, is just tension, attention attention please give me clout give me clout give me clout pay attention and i think what happens is we have like these forming echo chambers of just like get hyped about everything get hyped about everything and a lot of people end up just really overreacting about shit like you got you got youtubers whose job is like i cover xbox news and so every fucking day i gotta tell you xbox news so if it's a slow news day and there's not really fun shit to talk about i just gotta talk about why starfield's gonna be fucking dope why this sponsored chair i got from cd project red for talking nice about um about cyberpunk is so fucking cozy and why you should use the dollar shave club uh, thing in the bottom of the description of the video and first subscription 10 percent off the internet is just so geared towards this constant like hype cycle and i think it sends mixed signals to consumers and constantly makes us think like wow god damn people are so excited about this game or like wow this game must be a really big deal or like damn you know what i guess i am pretty hyped about starfield yeah i guess this game is gonna be the best thing in the world since sliced bread i guess we're all gonna have to fucking take two weeks off work and and uh and, and go nuts and it's like listen man it's okay to be excited it's, it's a good thing to be excited you should be excited about things that make you happy like right now i am over the moon hyped about the new tron roller coaster opening up at magic kingdom later in a few weeks i know full well that this roller coaster is stupid short it's disappointingly short it's like a 55 second long roller coaster it sucks uh i know full well that this roller coaster is gonna have massive fucking lines and be a nightmare to get on but i also know that Themed theme park environments are my favorite thing in the world. I also know that Tron is my absolute favorite sci-fi property of all time. I am just going to be so happy to be able to go to a theme park and experience an area of a theme park that puts me in the world of Tron. So I don't give a shit how good or bad it is. I'm just so excited to go ride this Tron roller coaster. That is me gauging my hype level based on my expectations, my preferences, what I like. In gaming right now, I'm so excited for Atomic Heart. I think the game looks amazing. It looks like Bioshock meets... Uh, meets Wolfenstein, and that's my fucking shit. I love both those kinds of games. This game looks great. As long as the game comes out, it's not completely broken and unplayable, I'm going to be fucking happy with it because I just want to be able to p download this game from Game Pass and enjoy it and have a good time with it. And is it going to change my life and make me a man? Probably not, but is it going to be a good time? Probably, because I've set my expectations accordingly. I am personally pretty excited for it but i am not trying to relay to you the listener bro 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 atomic hearts you gotta get hyped you gotta get hyped here's my tweet with a fucking picture of the game and i'm trying to just clout chase and get 3,000 retweets please pay attention to how good this game is going to be this is going to be great for gamers this is a great game for gamers this year game pass is awesome fuck playstation by the way like i just there's just so much of that minutia out there on on the internet that i think we have created a a cycle where it's just everyone is constantly getting mixed, mixed, mixed signals and mixed messaging. Like, way of the Lao, I know for a fact, like, you and I talk, I know you're a big fan of Monster Hunter. No doubt. That new game called Wild Hearts from Koei Tecmo and EA, that's, like, kind of like Monster Hunting, but with a building mechanic, it looks really promising, right? I would assume that as a big fan of Monster Hunter, you might be looking at Wild Hearts thinking, damn, this game kind of looks up my alley. Like, I might be pretty interested in this game. And... 
if you know yourself well enough, you know what qualities of Monster Hunter games uh, kind of get you going and get you excited. Uh, and if you're seeing those qualities present in this in, the, in these trailers and this news lead up to Wild Hearts, you might be like, fuck yeah, this is a game I'm going to have to check out when it comes out. And so you might get excited about it. And I think it's our job to kind of gauge how we get excited and why we get excited and to be able to hold that separate from what everyone else is saying. I got excited about Halo Infinite not because I'm a, I'm a Halo diehard fanboy and an Xbox diehard fanboy, and this game is really important to our brand, and I want us to win and beat Sony this generation, so I gotta support Halo. That's not why I care about Halo Infinite. I care about Halo Infinite because I love Halo. That franchise means the world to me, and I have yet to play a Halo game that was anything less than excellent, in my opinion. So I was very confident that Halo Infinite was going to be a game that resonated with me, and so I felt very comfortable getting excited about it. You know, I don't give a shit what people say about Sonic Frontiers. I don't give a shit about it's 71 on Metacritic. To me, the game's a fucking 95. It's it's excellent. It's amazing. And I knew that because I've played so many Sonic games. I have seen the things people say about Sonic games. I've, I've listened to the ways people feel about Sonic games. I saw what they were showing, what they were presenting. And I reasonably set my expectations. This game will probably have a lot of issues, be rough around the edges, as Sonic games tend to be. But I'm very excited to get back into the world of Sonic and to experience this game. And that was an example of my expectations being exceeded. Because even though I was so excited to play the game, I came in with the right expectations. Knowing historically Sonic games, a little rough around the edges. Some wonky controls. Maybe a little jank. It's okay. I just want to play a Sonic game. I just want to go be able to run really fast and experience a, a, a new Sonic story that takes itself seriously. And that game delivered way more than all of that. And it, it blew my expectations. How crazy is that, that the game that from the get last year I knew was my most anticipated game exceeded my expectations? It's just because I set them appropriately. So I'm not trying to say I'm perfect, be more like me. I'm trying to say I think people who know how to do that will be better off. People who rely on influencers and YouTubers and reviewers to tell them what to think, I think are the ones most susceptible to being disappointed uh, or or buying in too much to hype. Like, I appreciate that people listen to Xbox on and I really appreciate, you know, it, it always means a lot when someone leaves the comment like, Hey Jesse, I played, I played this game because you recommended it and I really like it. That like, that means a lot. I really appreciate that. I have had people tell me that in the past. That's a great feeling, but I, I genuinely hope people who listen to Xbox on, um, have enough. And I, I trust you guys do, you know, have enough of a personal taste and a personal understanding of who they are and what they want that they'd be able to be like, Jesse, you keep going on about how Crossfire X is is a great game. Bro, agree to disagree. That game sucks. I played it and it sucks. I respect that. Or you might be like, Jesse, you keep going on and on and on about how uh, Halo Infinite is finally good. Man, that game, they, they dropped the ball so hard. I just hope they scrap it and go on to Halo 7. That's fine, dude. We can agree to a disagree. Agree to disagree. But you, you got to be able to take in your podcast, your YouTube pages, your Twitter followers, and be able to separate like, the hypesters and in, in, in the things that are being told to you and, and kind of keep your own expectations and, and interpretations of the information being presented and just be like, well, what do I think about this? Because personally, I, yeah, I, I don't really, I don't think I have a good, because in your example of Starfield, I don't think I have a good reading on Starfield, to be quite honest with you. I, I, I can't tell if people are insanely overhyped for Starfield or if the hype around Starfield is surprisingly 
um, is surprisingly more muted than I expected. I think I'm seeing a little bit of both because it's like the Xbox community is super hype and then everyone else is just not really talking about it, which if it were coming to PS5, that might be different. But um, yeah, man, it's like I, to me, like here's my expectation for Starfield. The game is probably still going to be janky and buggy like every Bethesda game is. Um, I don't think the shooting is going to be particularly all that great. The shooting mechanics look kind of rough. It looks like it looks like D-rate like Destiny. Like it doesn't look very great. Um, but I think the game sounds really promising, really fun to explore. If there's one thing I know Bethesda does well, it is somehow making the world so compelling. Whether or not the story is particularly good, whether or not the gameplay mechanics are particularly deep and compelling, they're really good at making a world compelling. And so I think that is why I'm really interested in Starfield is because I love sci-fi. I love outer space. I love space exploration and travel. I think that shit is so cool. So if you take the strongest quality of Skyrim, which is its world building, and then apply that to something like outer space, I'm down. I think that's cool. I want that. So that's why I'm excited for Starfield. I don't really know why other people are hyped. I think you got to keep your expectations in check. Bethesda's never given us a reason to think that they're going to release a game that is well-polished and bug-free and really pristine-looking. Bethesda has never given us a reason to think they're going to release a game that has balls-to-the-wall, compelling, high, A-tier storytelling. They've just never done it, so why would this time be any different? Um, Bethesda's never really had excellent first-person shooting. You know, Fallout 4 was an improvement over Fallout 3, but it wasn't it wasn't a great shooter even then, so like, why would this be any different? But I think if this game ends up being like Skyrim, where it has such a rich and beautiful and compelling world... I think we'll be able to overlook those things and forgive those things to the ex- not the extent of it's okay that it's it has bad gameplay. The world's so cool, but to the extent that the point of the game is not isn't this shooting so satisfying? That's what Halo's for. The point of the game is isn't this world so compelling? And yes, shooting is a part of it, but it is another tool in the arsenal of exploring and fulfilling and existing in this world in this space. I think that's the strong suit of Bethesda games. So when I look at Starfield, that is my expectation. That is what I'm coming into that game with the understanding of. I'm also coming in with the understanding that Bethesda games for me are kind of half and half. Like I want to love Fallout, but I don't love Fallout. I didn't think I would ever like Elder Scrolls, but I really loved Skyrim. So I know there's a chance that I'm not going to like Starfield. So to me, it's kind of how I interpret it. And I just think we all need to have... And I'll put this last thing is if you are going to listen to the words of critics and reviewers and YouTubers and podcasters, find the people you agree with, you know, find the people that you tend to lean towards. Like example is like, I listen to a lot of video game donkey because I think video game donkey is insanely funny. I love his channel. I will stop everything to watch a new donkey video. And I have such a polar opposite taste to video game donkey. I think, I think video game donkey has somewhat of a, of a mediocre taste in games. But it's okay because I watch his videos because I think he's really thoughtful, he's really eloquent, and he's super funny. I don't give a shit about his his taste in games because I don't like most of the games he likes, with the exception of 3D Mario. Um, but, you know, whatever. It, he's, he's funny as hell, and I think he adds a lot of really interesting conversation, and so that's why I support him. I love the Actman a lot on YouTube. I watch Actman all the fucking time. I agree with a lot of what he... I, I like Actman a lot because I really love his Call of Duty videos, but a lot of his other videos, I disagree with sorely. I think he's he's hard on a lot of games I love. He's He praises a lot of games I hate. But again, it's the same thing as Dunkey. I think Actman is really... His videos are really well thought out, really well put. He ha, he has He's really good at defending his point of view and his perspective. 
And I appreciate that. It makes me like him as a person. It makes me gravitate towards his personality. And even when I disagree with his takes, I, I'm still like to watch his videos because I think he makes good points and he defends himself well and he's interesting and likable. So that's why I watch him. So as long as people can do that, because like, I don't know, it, it always rubs me the wrong way when you see people who are like, here's IGN given, oh, of course, another six out of 10 for Xbox or another, oh, of course, another 10 out of 10 for Nintendo. Yes, you do see a lot of that shit because there's a dogmatic culture, I think, along uh, with a lot of those outlets. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's not like IGN reviewed the game. It's like someone who works for IGN reviewed the game. Take a take it up with the, the guy that did the review. Don't take it up with the organization altogether because everyone who works there has different opinions and different tastes. I think more and more these days, these news outlets seem homogenized and like one big fucking hive mind for sure. But like, I don't know. It's like, I love when people are like, IGN hates Sonic. It's like, no, man. It's like, IGN doesn't have a Sonic... A, a, a Sonic purveyor, you know, if I worked at IGN, I'd be the guy reviewing Sonic games and these games would get way better reviews from IGN, not because everyone at IGN loves Sonic, but because I love Sonic. And so I make it a point to make sure I'm the guy reviewing them every time one of these games comes out. That's kind of how this works a, a lot of the time. And it's just like, no, dude, it's, it's not that it's not that fucking IGN hates Xbox. It's that IGN probably hires a lot of like-minded people because that's how workplaces work. It's like, bro, we need to hire someone. Who do you want to hire? It's like, oh, I got, I know a guy. And you hire a lot of people who are like-minded. So that's why you go to IGN. And it's like, yeah, they're kind of like jerking off PlayStation and shitting on Xbox. It's not because they hate Xbox. It's because they have a lot of the same people who have the same opinions and are qualified for the same things talking about all the games. And they don't have a lot of the opposite end of the spectrum represented, I think. It's, it's, I don't know. It's just, just, you just got to familiarize yourself with who is sending the message, what their opinions are and how that measures up to what, what it is you like and where your opinions lie and your tastes and preferences. Because I think it's totally fine to follow people you disagree with. And I think it's kind of cringy when people are like, you see these Twitter profiles where it's like, I follow a thousand Xbox accounts and all we fucking do is circle jerk about Xbox all day long. Yes. Hype, 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 hype. It's like, it's fucking weird, dude. Just get, dude, get a life. Like maybe, maybe join like a, like a subreddit or something or a discord channel where you can like actually have a conversation instead of just being like circle jerk. Starfield's going to be a 10 out of 10. Like calm down, man. It's a video game. Why don't you like focus on like, I don't know, trying to, trying to like get a job this year or lose weight or, or, or make friends or do something, this do something productive. Don't, don't, don't dedicate your entire personality and existence towards like this game will be great and I can prove it with my Twitter account. Okay, cool, bro. So yeah, hype culture is annoying. It's obnoxious. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's damaging. I think it's reductive. I, I just think it's all in all <laughs> pretty obnoxious, but if you know yourself and you know your tastes and you know how to separate that from the noise, I think you can reasonably set yourself up appropriately as games come out and kind of, you know, call things as you see them. Because I, I find nine times out of 10, when I get a game, I'm like, great, this is exactly what I thought it would be. And I like it about as much as I thought I would because I know my tastes. I've been playing games long enough to be like, yeah, that looks like a Jesse game. Yeah, that doesn't look like a Jesse game. And that's what I like about Game Pass so much is it allows me to kind of play games that don't look like Jesse games and find things I otherwise wouldn't have liked and expand my horizons. But I don't know, man. Just don't don't listen to the internet. The internet's full of shit. Don't even listen to me. I'm full of shit too, man. So with, uh, with that notion of not listening to me in mind, I think that's going to do it for our podcast this week. You guys, thank you so much for listening. I love how I said I was going to go through those last three comments super fast and then spent like 35 minutes talking to myself about uh, the internet being full of stupid 
self-appointed commentators as I sit here on my self-appointed podcast about uh, Xbox that no one asked for. So thank you guys all so much for uh, (laughs) encouraging me to do this stupid shit and to be here today and and to present the Xbox news to you. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Um, If you you feel so inclined to do so, I'd really appreciate it. If you go over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast, subscribe or on podcast services, subscribe, leave a like, leave a comment, uh, leave a review. If you're on iTunes or, or Google Podcasts or whatever you use, Stitcher, leave, leave me a five-star review. Let, let, let the people know that you like the show so we can get it to grow. And then, yo, you know? So uh, anyway, that was cringy, and that's, and that's enough of your time, I think. So we're going to wrap it up for this week. But you guys stay safe, play some good games, spend some time with the people you love, eat some delicious food, take care of yourselves. You know, listen, you got to go to the doctor. You got to get something checked out. You got to go to the dentist, get your teeth cleaned. Don't put it off. Take care of yourself. Take care of those you love. And get your pets get your, get your pets vaccinated. My cat just had to get a vaccination for rabies today or shot for rabies. Whatever. Do the same to your cat, please. Until next week, power your dreams. 